Hakuna Matata, and welcome to episode 164 of the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm uh, Manny Manuel. And I'm Rachel Corp. Welcome back, Rachel. Welcome uh, back. First, first things first, uh, we don't usually have this. Two weeks in a row we had guests on our show, uh, so we got to give a shout out and a thank you to a couple of guys who Manny, before we came on air, affectionately referred to as those two fuckers, uh, T-Bone and Kyle, were on the show last week and knocked it out of the park, set the bar pretty high, so thanks no, a lot didn't. for that, No, they didn't. They did not set the fucking bar high. <laughs> those two guys are pieces of shit. Worst episode ever. Worst movie ever. Those guys can go fuck themselves. Never invited back on again, I'm Pretty sure. much. Pretty much. So, Rachel, it's entirely possible Manny has gotten all of the uh, the shitting on of his friends uh, out of his system. Although, I mean, saying that out loud, I realize how ridiculous it sounds. But uh, <laughs> but <laughs> welcome back after a year and a half hiatus. Uh, you yeah, are you are back while. in the chair. How you feel? I feel good. I'm excited to talk about this show. Awesome. Yeah, it's so good to have you back, Rachel. As much as I love love to shit all over you uh it is very exciting to have you here i i knew that this was a movie that you would want to do uh it was one of the reasons one of the many reasons i put it on the docket but uh, i'm I'm so glad to have you on the show again we were we were just talking before we even came on air there usually i i kind of uh, recoil at the idea that manny would be so uh so mean to some of our guests but rachel i actually i called you out for something that you didn't even do uh, in a previous episode, because we we allow our guests guests to uh, to bring us into spoilers for the three, two, one, go fuck yourself, and I uh, I had it in my head that you messed it up when you were on the show, but we weren't even doing that when you when you were on when you were on the show last time. It was it was Jordan, it was Jordan that messed it up. So I I publicly shouted you out and tried to humiliate you, and it turns out the only person I was humiliating was myself. So I, I guess I owe you an apology on air. Hey, no press is bad press. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thankfully, I've never had to apologize to Rachel. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you've you've probably should have apologized for a few things and then just never did. No, no, yeah, never. It's, uh, <laughs> I was a little bit nervous because I believe our most famous argument on air, Manny, was in fact about the Lion King. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, Actually, and you know what? I'm you a did. Little nervous. He did apologize for that. I remember. Uh, I think like a week or two after the fact, when you weren't even on the show, he's like, "I think I owe Rachel an apology for this." I was, I was a little over the top. Was that in the "As Good as It Gets" episode? No, that was back in Quentin Tarantino. It was before oh, the, lion, the live yeah. action came out. It was the, or the summer that the Lion King came out, the live action in 2019. Yeah, I remember it, it hadn't even come out yet, and I think you had you had suggested that your interest in it was at least partially coming from the cast. Like you had looked at the cast and and you were intrigued in it. And Manny, no, that I, was I think that was that was that the movie was Cats. Cats. Oh, that was Cats. Okay, well that's that's a different story entirely. <laughs> <laughs> a different a different movie about big cats. Yeah, apparently you can't uh, say that you think a cast will interact interestingly or. 
or you're interested in a way a cast will interact with each other because there's a cast in every movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> but the good news is you've gotten over it and you're not you're not bitter about that. Not at all. I, not, you know, not even a bit. Talk about Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't say that the cast is good in this one. <laughs> I hope that's a joke. <laughs> I hope so. No, I, I don't. I well, I'll just put it. Right, I don't think the cast is good. I think there are some people in it that are good, but as mm. a whole, no, not good. That's a distinction. I'm curious to see you back that one up. But okay, we'll uh, we'll get to there. Sure. Uh, before we get into that though, but l- like I said, it is. I, I'm so excited to have Rachel back. But before we do uh, move on with the show, uh, we do. Every once in a while, like we said before, when someone that has left a mark on this art form that we love and admire so much passes away, Sam and I have decided to just spend a couple minutes uh, paying tribute to them. And this week, a director who I admire and has really enjoyed his work passed away at the age of 91, uh, and that's Richard Donner. He... Although I will say this segment has mostly just been you texting me being like, hey, this guy died this week. How many of his movies have you seen? And it's usually just like one or two. And this week's this week's no exception for me. Yeah. And that's understandable because the people that are dying are people that I would have watched when I was younger because that's, that makes sense. that's just the way it works. Unless, of course, we <laughs> have somebody die tragically young, such as Chadwick Boseman. Um, but Richard Donner passed away. And as always, to pay tribute uh, to the people that have passed away, we're just going to list off, and by we, in this instance, it will just be me, listing off my five favorite films that he directed. And I, he did produce. Um, he was a producer on a couple films that I really love, but I decided to just stick to uh, the ones that he directed. Um, I did cheat a little. There are six listed here, and but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll explain why. So... My my number six film that he did is a movie that's a kind of a little unknown, but it's called Radio Flyer. Have you yeah. seen this, Rach? Yeah, I I couldn't tell you. I don't remember anything about it, but I, I remember the wagon. I remember, yeah, yeah. It's been a long time. It's been a really long time uh, since I've seen this movie, and but I remember it really having an effect on me. I think it it ha- it has to do a lot with a young boy coming of age and dealing. Uh, I think it's either dealing with the loss of his father or shit. I really should have looked it up. But uh, the movie Radio Flyer was a movie I really enjoyed, so I have that uh, at number six. Number five and number four are two movies that are so intertwined you can't really pull them apart. Uh, and that's the original Superman and the follow-up Superman 2 with Christopher Reeve. The two movies uh, blend together really well. This movie, uh, Superman for my generation, was absolutely spectacular. Obviously, I, I haven't revisited this movie in a long time, but for me, Christopher Reeve will always be my Superman. And while... Henry Cavill has done a great job. And Brandon Routh, I liked him in his turn as Superman, but he, in all honesty, he was just doing a Christopher Reeve impersonation. Uh, the Superman and Superman 2 movies are really well done for what they can accomplish for the movies made at their time. 
Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor is absolutely spectacular. And then we have Terrence Stamp as General Zod. And Terrence Stamp as General Zod is just absolutely fucking brilliant. These movies are a lot of fun. I really would like to revisit them again sometime. They're on my to-watch list. Uh, so Superman and Superman 2 uh, take up slots 5 and 4. Uh, my number three film by Richard Donner is one that means a lot to me that I am so excited to show to Maya soon, and that's The Goonies. I fucking love The Goonies. It is so much fun. It is absolutely a joy to watch and to grow up with i know sam you watched this recently i think yeah during isolation i did a zoom watch of the goonies for the first mm -hmm. time in my entire life and i, I enjoyed it yeah. i think i would have enjoyed it more if i was 10 yeah but, you know it, it was pretty I, I can see the appeal definitely yeah and it's actually it's fun watching these old movies that are considered classics now um, because I see them referenced in media all over the place, all these little things. Um, so yeah, the Goonies, it, I would, I would definitely watch it again. And I think I actually do want to watch it again because I sort of was not paying them as much attention as I should have, but I, I had a good time. Rachel, I assume you've seen the Goonies. Oh, definitely. Lots of times. Yeah. I love that movie. Um, my number two film is probably my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah, I'd say it is. <clears throat> and that's the 1988 comedy Scrooged starring Bill Murray. I absolutely love this movie. Sam, have you seen Scrooged? No, I've come close to watching it like four or five Christmases in a row. Mm -hmm. I think it's my dad's favorite Christmas movie. I've or no, that can't be right, because I would have watched it when I was a kid then. I don't know, but uh, never never watched Scrooge. Never got around to it somehow. Rach, I assume you've seen it? Yeah, I watch it every year. Yeah, it's it's probably my favorite Christmas movie, and I'd say probably every third time I watch it, I probably cry. Mm. <laughs> uh, Bill Murray, if you like Bill Murray, then you're going to like this movie. It's your typical Bill Murray movie where he's a, he, he's an asshole at the beginning and then yep. learns how to be a decent human being by the end <laughs> yep and learns the true meaning of christmas yes and i i just adore this movie it has i don't know in all honesty with the exception of maybe a couple moments i don't know if there's any absolutely knee slapping bust out loud laughing moments that i can think of it's just a movie that i enjoy watching over and over and over again i won't lie like with the uh, how do i say this without spoiling it um his interaction with the ghost of christmas present their interaction specifically with a toaster will always make me laugh every time without fail. And yeah, that that scene definitely makes me laugh. Uh, but Bill Murray is really good in it. Uh, I'm looking at it now. It has a Metascore of 38. That is so sad to me and shocking, to be honest. I don't think it's anywhere near a 38. Wait, Scrooge has a 38? Yes. 
everybody I've ever heard talk about this movie speaks very highly of it. Yes. Yeah. That's a surprise. It, that is a massive surprise to me and a little heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I won't lie. Uh, but Scrooge, it's my number two. And my number one film by Richard Donner, I completely cheated. It is the entire Lethal Weapon franchise. This is a franchise, uh, one of the uh, another action iconic action franchise that Sam has not seen. I own the first one, but it's still in the plastic. Yeah, Sam has not seen any of the Lethal Weapons, Rachel, nor has he seen any of the Mission Impossibles. Actually, I don't think I've seen all of the Mission Impossibles. What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> but I've seen not all every- the Lethal Weapons. Not everybody watches as many movies as you do, Manny. <laughs> Rachel's pretty fucking close. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I have a lot of time. Well, I get four days off every four days, so I get I'll get like eight movies in every four days. Oh, sweet, Rach! At the end, <laughs> at the end of this year, we should compare to see who watched more movies. Yeah, I think. Oh, well, I remember last year. You, I'm pretty sure you beat me, but the year before, the year that I took five months off work. Yeah, I remember. I had like, uh, I had some stats for you. I had watched some. I I had gone to see, I think, twenty five movies in the theater that year. I know. I was jealous. Not, yeah. <laughs> that was um, a good year. But the Lethal Weapon franchise, I've actually just rewatched uh, one and two within the last couple months here. They are still absolutely spectacular. They are so well done. And as my uh, beloved co host says, all around good guy Mel Gibson uh, stars in it. Yes, he obviously is problematic, but he, this, when you watch these movies, you see why he became a star. He is electric on screen and so incredibly charismatic. And the chemistry he has with Danny Glover in all of these movies is amazing. And each new sequel introduces a new character that just blends in seamlessly. In the second one, we get Joe Pesci added to the cast, and he is an absolutely comedic delight. In the third one, we get Rene Russo added in, and she just fits in seamlessly. And the fourth one, well, they add Jet Li, who's the villain, and you also get Chris Rock, who I think he's trying a little too hard. Uh, but Jet Li as a villain uh, obviously is is fun to watch. The, the movies are really great. There's nothing that deep about them, but the action scenes are great. But in all honesty, you're really watching these movies to just watch Mel Gibson and Danny Glover bounce off one another and watch these two men have a complete bromance and play off one another and have an absolute fucking blast. It's it's a really great and really fun franchise, and it's easily uh, Richard Donner's best work, in my opinion. I think uh, I think the Goonies is the only Richard Donner movie that I've seen. I was looking through his filmography earlier and in, in prep for this episode, but um, I know there is one called Maverick, which I was expecting to sort of make your list uh, that you just talked about a few weeks ago. I think, yep. oh, which is a 1994 movie yep. and one that I think you've recommended that I watch. I think you would like it because mm-hmm. uh, of the poker in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Another film he did that I th- I think Rachel I think Rachel would probably like is Assassins. Oh, I love that movie. I knew it. I fucking knew it. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I did back in, I don't know, 95 or when. Nice. That's exactly what it was. 95. Yeah. That was a good movie. That was fun. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah, so thank you, Richard Donner, for everything that you've done. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, you will be missed, good sir. All right. Next up, we have Maya's movie moment. So here we go. Hello, and welcome to Maya's movie moment. I'm Manny Manuel. I am Maya. <laughs> How you doing, sweetheart? Good. Did we watch a movie today? Yes. What movie did we watch? Pets. The Secret Life of Pets 2. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Did you like it? Yeah, but it did not even beat Sailor Moon. Not even close. It didn't even knock Sailor Moon off the top spot? Nope. So far, nothing has, actually. I know. So Sailor Moon is still your favorite movie. Yeah. All right. Well, since we asked so many questions about Sailor Moon, should we talk about pets a little bit? Yes. Okay. So... Who is your favorite character in the Pets movie? Uh, I have two. Two of them. Um, I have the sn the Captain Snowball. Captain Snowball, okay. And I like the, the weird granny that owns all those cats. The crazy old cat lady? Yeah. She was pretty cool. All right. Yeah. What was your favorite part of the movie? Uh, I have one favorite part. My favorite part is when the granny showed up um, with all the cats and she was and she was nodding her head, listening to music, and it was and was shades on. It was pretty funny. It was pretty funny. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the end when he was rapping about panda, panda, panda. When Captain Snowball had his rap at the end. Yeah. It's a, it's a post-credit scene, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. Pretty good. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Um. So as always, we'll make we'll make this quick. <gasps> okay. Uh, what's your favorite snack to have while watching a movie? Uh, Tootsie Pop. Tootsie Pop. Because it lasts a while. Because it does that last a while. That movie was kind of short, actually. The movie was pretty short. It's all right. It's all right. Okay. Uh, that's it. That's all we have today. We we made it really quick because we don't have a lot of time today, do we? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, uh did you want to say anything before we say goodbye? No. No. Okay, so that's Maya's movie moment. I'm Manny Manuel. I am Maya. Adios. Bye. There we go. Easy peasy. One. Easy peasy so today. Cute. <laughs> that was that was nothing at all. Still Sailor Moon, not uh, not being dethroned. Dare I say we may actually have a favorite movie for Maya. Yeah, it's it's possible. This is five weeks in a row now. The the longest she'd ever liked anything, basically. Yeah, as far as movies are concerned. Yeah, well, since we kept track, but I I, I can tell you that Singing in the Rain was her favorite for a very long time. Hmm. But uh, I I don't think I'm gonna be able to get it back on the perch. No, well, you're gonna. It sounds like you're gonna need to watch Sailor Moon yourself. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't include uh, The Secret Life of Pets 2 in my What We've Been Watching, but I can tell you right now, it's not good. So, <laughs> um, I, I did like how she specifically commented that she only has one favorite moment this week in this movie, and she listed two. <laughs> <laughs> the granny wearing shades and, and the rap from, uh, from Snowball. Yeah. She, uh, I think if she had the pick between the two, she would have picked the, uh, the Captain Snowball rap because she made me rewind to watch it again. I see. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, movie is uh, not good. I uh, I don't recommend it. Eh, short watch anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. I was 
but I, I like I was I was so excited to actually watch it with her because she told me she refused to watch it at home with her mom and dad because she wanted to watch it with me. Ah, I know, and I was like, oh, you melt my heart. And then it wound up being terrible. <laughs> it wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't terrible. I gave it a two. Like it wasn't terrible. I just would never put this on again. I remember being entertained by the first one, but this one, it, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't for me. It, it, I just didn't have a lot to laugh at. I didn't think it was all that great. Uh, yeah, not, not, to, not a fan, not a fan. And my, my appreciation and my bar for animated movies is very high this year with Raya and the Last Dragon and Wish Dragon and what else have I watched that was good? Uh, fuck. I can't remember. Well, Luca was okay. Uh, but yeah. So, things are uh, things are looking pretty good for, for animation this year. But uh, Secret Life of Pets I haven't Pets watched too. any of these animated movies yet. I've been waiting. Um, what, what was the one? Was it Raya and the Last Dragon? Yes. That's the one that's getting a lot of hype. I was <sighs> waiting for that to come off premium rental. I'm not paying... 35 bucks for it unless it's in theaters worth every penny or whatever it is worth every I bet, penny i bet it is i'm poor so uh, <laughs> totally understandable well and it's off premium now because i is watched, it? yeah because i watched okay. it recently yeah and i didn't pay for it hmm. oh so no excuses no excuses all right i got some other movies to talk about are you ready sure i continue to chip away at my 1994 films guessing sam has not uh, but the next one I, wa- I knocked off my list was a movie I hadn't seen since 1995 when it hit uh, home video, uh, and that's it's The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Uh, two drag performers and a transgender woman travel across the desert to perform the unique style of cabaret. This is set down in Australia, and it stars Hugo Weaving, Guy Pierce, and Terrence Stamp as the uh, drag queens and transgender woman, uh, respectively. It's really good. I remember liking it back in 1995, and I was looking forward to revisiting this. Uh, Past and future guest Jordan had actually checked it out before I had a chance to and was so excited about it and was raving about it, so I immediately put it on and wasn't disappointed. I don't quite hold it as high in regard as she did but it's still really really good the two the two well i'll just talk about each actor uh hugo weaving is so young and so skinny uh he's pretty good in it he's the lead guy pierce is a fucking smoke show (laughs) and not not as a woman as a guy he definitely had been working out and I was like, God damn, this guy's a golden god. Uh, but Terrence Stamp is an absolute standout in this film. He is spectacular uh, as the transgender woman, uh, Bernice. He delivers, uh, he brings such depth and such pathos to the role. It's really well done. Uh, kind of, let me take a look. He Oh, right, it is kind of a... Mm, you know what? I'm going to tell you right now. I would, once again, definitely kick out Chaz Palminteri for Bullets Over Broadway and and slide in Terrence Stamp uh, at, for his performance uh, at, for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, it's uh, it's really good. 
It's really well done. It's very entertaining, and uh, I had a really good time with it. Uh, I did give it a three out of five, but it's uh, it's definitely worth a watch. Rach, have you seen this? No, I've never seen it. Yeah. I've never even heard of this, I don't think. It it's it was again, it's one of the and Rachel will understand this completely. The nineties were so great for these small independent films that are so incredibly well made because studios were willing to drop, you know, anywhere from seven to maybe even up to like twenty million dollars for these movies, uh, in the hopes of finding another great young talent like a Kevin Smith or Robert Rodriguez or a Paul Thomas Anderson or a Quentin Tarantino or something like that. So they were taking a lot of chances, uh, these small independent studios, uh, making all these incredible films. The 90s were an incredible time uh, for, for films, especially in the like about 92 to 97 uh, Steven Soderbergh, another person that was discovered around that time. Uh, it, it's just, it was such a, a great time as a film fan you, to see all this talent getting uh, a chance to just kind of make the movie that they want. Mm-hmm. The next movie I watched was one I'd seen on Netflix and starring a stand-up comedian who I love. Or I guess I guess I don't know if there's a difference now between comedian and comedian. Uh, it's a female comedian. Uh, her name's Eliza Schlesinger, and she did this movie called Good on Paper. Now, I listened to her latest appearance on Joe Rogan. Uh, this movie, the plot, uh, after years of putting her career first, a stand-up comic meets a guy who seems perfect, smart, nice, successful, and possibly too good to be true. She uh, wrote this movie because it is based completely on something that happened to her. And the Joe Rogan podcast that she was on, she talks about what happened to her in real life to inspire this film. And it's all really close. The I'll, I won't be I won't lie. The podcast and listening to her dealing with what really happened is much better than this movie. This movie is not that good, not that funny. I didn't have a hard time sitting through it, but I think it's also possible that I already knew everything that happens because I listened to the podcast. Still, I don't think I would have enjoyed this movie any more than that if I hadn't listened to the podcast. But, Manny, yeah. uh, I, I mentioned to you off-air that there was one movie I watched this week that I was fairly certain you also watched. This was it. This was it. And I can tell you I didn't listen to the podcast, and the movie was not that enjoyable. Okay. I would. I know that you do listen to some of Joe Rogan's. Have you listened to yeah. her episode? I haven't listened to her episode. No. I've, I, I, I'm considering it because I know you said in our podcast group that uh, that episode is a good one. So I, I may well check it out, but... Um, the movie itself was not motivation enough for me to go do that because I didn't I didn't find this funny. No, it, it wasn't funny. And I'm actually trying to think, did I laugh at any moment? Uh, and I can't remember laughing once. I, I think... I, I think th- I'm trying to think if I can even explain what the main flaw with this movie is without giving it away. But honestly, all the trailers and marketing material kind of just give away what the movie's about anyway. I'm going to try to tiptoe around this. But- okay. 
basically the movie doesn't do a good enough job convincing us that our that our male i guess he's the male lead or uh, whatever it is you want to call him his character the movie doesn't do a good enough job convincing us convince oh, i'm gonna try to walk back on this there's a surprise that comes later in the movie that is just not a surprise or at least i thought it was supposed to be a surprise i guess mm. um <clears throat> like sort of what's really going on i guess let's put it that way what's really going on in the movie I'm sure to, since it's based off of – is Eliza her name? Yeah. Since it's based off of her life, I'm sure it came as a surprise to her because it actually happened to her. Yes. But nothing about the way that it was written was surprising to me, and the movie did not do a good enough job setting my expectations somewhere else. I hear you. If, that makes, if yeah. that makes any sort of sense. Have you seen this, Rach? No, I haven't, and then- doesn't don't sound like I'm going to. Don't. No, don't. I wouldn't recommend it. <clears throat> don't. It. Don't. If you're interested, I, I will tell you this. Listening to her episode on Joe Rogan's podcast is entertaining because you get the real story about what happened. And I won't I, – I, <laughs> most of what happens in the movie is true, Sam, except for what happens after the revelation because obviously there's a, a, a moment – that happens that would never happen in real life. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Uh, while this movie is called Good on Paper, it is not good on paper. Uh, it's a two out of five. Easy. <laughs> Easy joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, two, two out of five for me as well. Yeah. Uh, next up, I watched a movie that I'm 99% sure... Sam is seen, mm-hmm. and I'm 99% sure that Rachel likes. And that is the 2004 action adventure National Treasure. I It's been a long time since I've seen it. Nicholas Cage? Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, a historian races to find the legendary Templar treasure before a team of mercenaries. Nicholas Cage just having the time of his life. This is a complete guilty pleasure movie for me. I fucking love this movie. I have a great time watching it. I think it's fun. I love the treasure hunting aspect. I love how one clue leads to another clue that leads to another clue. I had a great time. I was having a lot of fun watching it. Uh, we have Sean Bean as a villain. We have John Voight as the dad. It's just a delightful, fun romp of a movie, and I always enjoy watching it. Uh, National Treasure, four out of five for me. I I do like Nicolas Cage. I think I wasn't in the right frame of mind when I watched this. I've only seen it once all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the kind of movie, I feel like this movie's always on TV. Yep. Um, but I've only sat down and watched it front to back once, and that was, I think, after Isolation already started. Um, and I think I was just not in the mood for it. This is just, it's a silly, dumb action movie with yep. Nicolas Cage in it. Yep. Uh, and I was just so not in the mood for it. <laughs> I think I gave this a two when I watched it. Oh, wow. Uh, it, it's pretty dumb. <laughs> it's super dumb, but I can't help but love it. I don't know why. I can't help it. 
I love it. I, I have think fun. if I watched it in the right frame of mind, it would at least be a three. But yeah, I think I uh, maybe I did give it a three at the time. I honestly can't remember. Fair enough. Fair. I enough. remember being a little bit turned off. Rachel, do you have any sort of strong opinions about Nicolas Cage? Because he feels like the kind of person that I I feel like everybody has at least extremely um, negative or extremely positive views on him. I, I would say I lean towards more positive. I mean, as you guys know, I do like to watch bad movies for the sake of entertainment. And I yeah. feel like he, even though he's he can be quite good, he he's really good when he's not good that's that's <laughs> his well. whole shtick like, right <laughs> yeah like and i mean i love face off like i <laughs> adore that movie like that's a huge guilty pleasure of mine Us too. i watch it at least once every two years um i actually just watched con air yeah same sort of thing like i haven't seen so, it they're so cheesy but they're so fun so yeah, I would say I'm more on the positive side of Nicholas Cage. Mm. I don't have like this guttural reaction to him when people talk about him, but yeah, I'm into him. If you want a good Nicholas Cage overacting and doing way too much performance, uh, The Wicker Man is so I've bad that it's good. That. It's it's not even so bad that it's good in the sense that Face Off and Con Air are. Uh, it's so bad that it's good in more of a I don't know. It's like it, it's a, it's more in the horror genre. It, it's sort of a mystery okay. horror, uh, and it's really really dumb. And right. there, there's a there's a couple of hilarious moments. There's there's a moment with some bees, which makes me laugh. It's supposed to be very serious and like sort of gory, I guess, or not, maybe not gory but painful, and it makes me laugh. Nicholas Cage getting awesome. stung by a bunch of bees. <laughs> <laughs> I'll check that out for sure. Anyway, that's that's my Nicholas Cage tangent. The next movie I watched, I've uh, lately been uh, on a Kevin Costner kick. Uh, I love the man. I'm a big, uh, big fan of his work. So I decided to, to uh, watch a movie of his that I had never seen before. It's from 1987. It's called No Way Out. Uh, a cover-up and witch hunt occur after a politician accidentally kills his mistress. <clears throat> this also stars Gene Hackman and Sean Young. And was directed by Roger Donaldson, who has a incredibly diverse uh, filmography, including my all-time favorite bad movie that I fucking love, that I am patiently waiting to make us watch, and that is Cocktail. Oh, I love that movie. I fucking love Cocktail, and I'm... I so desperately want to review it, but I know that Sam's going to hate it. And I don't know if my heart can take it. <laughs> but he's also done uh, movies like Species and 13 Days, a movie I really like. Um, Cadillac. Yeah, I would put co- Cocktail above those. Like, Cocktail's fun. Yeah, Dante's Peak and The Recruit, The Getaway, The Bank Job with Jason Statham. All that I know about Cocktail, Manny, is that you love it, and now I know that Rachel, you say you love it or you like it? Yeah, I, I would say I love it. I, I would say maybe really like it. Like, I uh, really like it. So I know that it's at least a guilty pleasure for you guys, and I know that it has a 12 metascore. Yep. It's a metascore of 12. That's way no, I'm too not, low, I'm not looking forward to it. That's, that's criminally low for that movie. That movie is not a 12. 
Hold on. I just want to quickly check something. <laughs> it's not a lot, lot higher than that, <laughs> but it's not a 12. I guess that's right at the beginning of Tom Cruise's like uh, climb to fame, isn't it? It's Well, it's still after Top Gun. Right. Uh, hold on. I'm just trying to... Already just, a, a bona fide is... superstar, okay. I guess. This is... Uh... Oh, hold on. Just want to put this in here. All right. So, two things about cocktail. Number one, well, it did get a 12-minute score. It did win the Razzie for worst picture of the year that year. Good. But it was the ninth highest grossing film of 1988. So this Yeah, is, that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it was a smash success. Uh... Okay, but I don't want to talk about cocktail. I'm here to talk about No Way Out because <laughs> I can't wait to talk about cocktail. Right. No Way Out, I was really looking forward to, especially with Kevin Costner and Gene Hackman. Uh, I can tell you right now, Gene Hackman is completely wasted in this role. His talent is not put to any use whatsoever. His role, while important, doesn't need somebody of this caliber in it. It also stars Will Patton. Uh this movie, I, I would love, I would love for Sam to watch this movie, but the one thing I would beg him to do is to just, you have to be very patient because the movie does, it's an hour and 54. I'll be honest, the movie doesn't really get going until probably almost 40 minutes into it. The, be- the, the beginning is way too long. They set things up way too slowly and take way too much time. The other thing I'd need Sam to let go of is the incredibly horrible 80s synth score in it. it you know, that, that grates on me. <laughs> I know it does, and this one is really, really bad. Oh, boy. So I would, I would beg you to try and look past it because once this movie gets going – it's really good and has an absolutely fucking spectacular ending that I will not spoil. But it is so, – the ending was so good, I had to rewind it to watch it again. I had a great time with this movie again once it got started, and it took way too long to get there. Uh, but this movie was – it was really, really entertaining and very tense. It was a very tense film. I had a great time watching it, despite its very slow start and its horribly bad uh, 80 cent score. I gave No Way Out a four out of five. I had a really good time. Um, cool. I it's I I it is on Prime if you have the MGM um, add-on. I only uh, have I have the thirty day free trial because I there was a couple nineteen ninety four films in there that I needed to watch. I got the free trial for MGM and I think it just auto renewed. So it looks like I have it again for another thirty days. Okay, <laughs> you mu- you like I would say to check this out, Sam, but not over any of the nineteen ninety four films I've asked you to watch. I have a lot of homework. You do, and you're you got a month. You got less than a month. Whew. Goodness gracious! I know. Uh, the last movie I want to touch on is one that just came out. This is the 
what is it? Action adventure sci-fi starring Chris Pratt, The Tomorrow War. A family man is drafted to fight in a future war where the fate of humanity relies on his ability to confront the past. This is one of the few times where I watched the trailer prior to watching this movie. And I have to say that I thought it looked horrible. So I still decided to watch it. And the movie is almost like a complete throwback to 90s action films. The movie was a lot of fun. It has some plot holes. Chris Pratt, though, is trying too hard to play a serious role in a movie that does not require it. It requ- This movie would have been even better if we got the Chris Pratt that everyone loves. If we gotten Star-Lord Chris Pratt in this movie, this might have been one of my favorite movies of the year. I don't like the creature design at all. They don't make a lot of sense to me. But the premise of the movie is a lot of fun. There's some really great action set pieces in it. The idea and premise of the film is fun. And the movie was not fair to me as its central core story is about a father and a daughter. And the daughter wants to be a scientist, which is what my daughter wants to be. And there were times where I was almost crying and I was hating myself for allowing a movie of this caliber to almost make me cry. The other problem I have with this movie is the climax of the film is a little too clunky for me and despite it's in it's sci-fi uh, premise and all that i still found the ending a little unbelievable and hard to latch on to that being said i still had a fucking blast watching this movie it is fun dumb action explosy with a couple funny lines thrown in there with uh some uh, some nice com- uh, comic relief from an actor I didn't recognize. Let me see if I can find him quickly. Uh, Sam Richardson is his name. Don't know who he is. Don't know. Let's see if, what else he's been in. Uh, oh, I, oh, he's on Veep. He's on that show Veep. I guess that's where he's most known from. Oh, he was just in a movie uh, you watched recently, uh, Rachel. Uh, Mike and Dave need wedding dates. He was oh. He was the character Eric. I don't, I don't know if it's a major part in it or not, but he's listed in there. I don't think so. I don't really remember it, Eric. <laughs> okay. Uh, but the movie is so much fun, 100% worth watching. You want some fun action film? Check out The Tomorrow War. It is on Amazon right now. It is stupid, dumb, sci-fi, explodey action adventure. You can't go much worse than The Tomorrow War. Four out of five for me, despite all the things I didn't like about it. I was not expecting a four. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I I I can't deny it. I had way too much fun with it. It's it it was a four for sure. Yeah, it's a big surprise. Yeah, that's everything I've been watching. Rachel, what have you checked out recently? 
Well, I like you guys have been rewatching 94 movies, but uh, won't get too much into them because they're all ones that you guys have talked about on previous episodes, mm-hmm. like Shawshank and Pity with a Vampire. So I've been plugging with that list. But just the other night, uh, past and future guest of yours, Sean Thompson, was here for the night with his wife, Lane, and we watched American Hustle. I've seen it four or five times before but he had never seen it so that was a lot of fun um got a lot of big names in it christian bale jennifer lawrence amy Amy adams Adams, jeremy renner bradley cooper yeah jeremy renner and it's uh about a couple of cons and the people they con it's a really good movie i will i was telling sean this time around though i found myself just like in my head, the movie was always a five out of five for me. And this time around, I would say it was a four. Like I found myself at times just just like a teeny tiny bit bored. And I think it's only because they have to do a lot of explaining in the movie so that you understand what's going on and you pick up on everything. But when you've seen the movie four or five times, those parts aren't as interesting. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. There was, there was, yeah, 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 right? Like, so there were some times where I was like, I feel like it was, I wasn't even a little bit bored watching this previously. I will say though, it's probably, it's definitely up there in one of my most favorite Amy Adams performance. She is so sexy in this movie, like at, at her sexiest in this movie, I think. Like she often has to go ugly and do that. And this kind, she's got that fashion, she's got the deep V in every outfit she wears, and she is feeling it and she looks spectacular in this movie mm-hmm. yeah really good movie four out of five no, i i saw american hustle i think uh i'm looking at its release date it came out december 13th 2013 pretty sure i watched this christmas day with my family actually uh in theaters uh the year that it came out and i remember even back then being just blown away um it's a, it's a slow burn of a movie. I know that some some of my friends didn't like American Hustle because it, it moves very slowly um, and there's not a lot of like violence, but there's just a lot of under the surface tension, a lot of interpersonal tension uh, yeah. between uh, Bradley Cooper's character, Christian Bale, and Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence. A lot of the interpersonal tension is where a lot of the drama comes from, and then there's also this sort of criminal underbelly as well that we get into but i still love american hustle I, i'm there with you rachel i've seen it probably about three or four times myself um yeah and i think Dave... the characters like they all have some great moments like they have some mm-hmm. you know they're kind of like which i'm sure were their oscar moments the moments that they played um during mm-hmm. the oscar nominations for all of them yeah yeah, and I, I think Christian Bale personally. Um, I mean, yeah. you can you can choose anything out of his filmography and make a case for it being his best. But it, for my money, this is this is in contention for his best role. You hit the nail on the head with Amy Adams. Uh, incredibly sexy, <laughs> no, no doubt about that. Uh, Louis C.K. has a really funny uh, couple scenes in it. Um, oh yeah, I, will I like s- him and Bradley's interactions. They're funny yeah. together. Yeah. Uh, David O. Russell is not somebody that I have seen a whole lot of his movies i don't think i the only other one that i've seen of his as far as i can tell is silver linings playbook and i actually was not as high on that movie as some other people were um oh, I love but, that movie. but uh the american hustle i 
would go so far as to say I adored it. Great movie. That's good. And the second one I watched, which I won't be able to talk very much about because I it's new and you guys, I, as far as I know, you haven't seen it yet. But my first going back to the theater experience, I chose to go see Disney's Cruella. Oh. And I, to the surprise of zero people, I loved it. Like, I loved it so much. Emma Stone is having the best time. And she's so great in this. Emma, uh, who's the other Thompson. Emma? Thompson. Emma Thompson is also having the best time. And she is a bad person. The the fashion, the costume design is so cool. The way they integrate it. So it's like a true prequel to 101 Dalmatians. There's things that happen in Cruella that really do lead into the animated version um, of 101 Dalmatians. There's one thing about the plot that I wasn't crazy about that I won't even say anything about, but it's made up by, there's another part of the plot that they use that I really, really liked. Um, but I had, a, like, I was smiling ear to ear. I am a sucker for Disney and I'm a big sucker for villain backstory. So I was going in, it would have had to have been like terrible, awful, on the verge of walking out bad for it to be anything less than than a three for me. And it was an easy five. It's so much fun. Yeah, well, easy five. That was easy not five. expecting that. Oh, easy uh, five. I saw that if coming like from a mile Emma away. Stone, yeah, if you like Emma Stone at all, she's great in this. I do. I, I love, uh, in particular, uh, this probably isn't the most popular pick, even though I'm fairly certain she won the Oscar for it, but uh, La La Land is like one of my, like one of my modern favorites, like of the last 10 years, certainly one of my, one of my favorite movies. Um, so I love her in that. And I just love her in general. This movie, I don't know if I'm going to be going to see it, Rachel. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, that's okay. <laughs> I wasn't really expecting it. Yeah. But I, I, I had a great time. Really, 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 really and that's it. great. Yeah. And that's all it matters. And that's really, yeah, and that's really all I've been watching. All right. Sam, since we discussed uh, the horrible film Good on Paper, yep. uh, what else have you been watching? Um, I did have a couple else. That, um, I was racking my brain because I felt like there was some stuff that uh, I did watch this week. Nothing really that I want to go in too deeply. Uh, I watched, uh, I, for some reason, been on a little bit of a documentary kick, and I watched one uh, directed by Elliot Page uh, called There's Something in the Water. Uh, it's about uh, the, uh, <clears throat> it's about, I can't remember the terms that are being used. It's a, it's an environmentalist movie. It's about the water quality in various uh, towns uh, in Nova Scotia, I believe. Uh, it's about water quality in certain uh, indigenous and black neighborhoods and the the lack of attention that it is getting from uh, the Canadian government. So there's a whole documentary made about that. Uh, wouldn't exactly say it's a fun watch. It's certainly very um, upsetting movie and very eye-opening. But uh, yeah, continued my documentary watch with that and I gave it a four. I'm I'm happy to have watched it. It was only an hour and ten minutes, but it was uh, it was a thought-provoking movie and very interesting. Um, watched a movie that I'm going to try to pull up on IMDb right now. I'm not going to talk about it all that much. It's one that I watched when I was a kid. Um, Emma and her sister liked it when they were kids. 
so we we decided to give it a watch one night just for something fun. It's the 2006 comedy She's the Man with Amanda Bynes. Uh, has a 45 on uh, on Metacritic. When her brother decides to ditch for a couple weeks, oh, as my IMDb crashes on me. When her brother decides to ditch for a couple weeks, Viola heads over to his elite boarding school disguised as him and proceeds to fall for his school's star soccer player. Um, this is, it's based off of a Shakespeare play, uh, Twelfth Night. It's based off of Twelfth Night. Um, it's not very good. It's not a good movie. Uh, it's not aged particularly well. I mean, I'm sure it probably wasn't that good at the time. I don't think, uh, there was, I maybe laughed out loud a handful of times. The love interest uh, in this movie is played by as I'm pretty sure was contractually obligated at the time, Channing Tatum, because he was just in, he was just the hunky dude in all movies in the mid 2000s from this right on up till, well, now currently. Um, this movie is just chock full of problems. It is predictable at every turn. Amanda Bynes is genuinely funny at a couple of points, but she, she when she's dressed as a guy, she puts on this voice that is just frankly annoying. <laughs> Um, I I could go the rest of my life without watching this movie. Um, she's the man. Got a two for me. Uh, I can't imagine either of you have ever seen this. I've seen it. I'm pretty sure I've seen it. Yeah. yeah? yeah. And any yeah. any any memorable moments for no, you? No, I saw yeah. it when it came out. I have no idea why I would have watched it, uh, yeah. but I did. Uh, I have no recollection whatsoever of anything that happened in this movie. Yeah. I will say I'm I'm sure uh, I'm definitely not this movie's target demographic. It's certainly at least uh, it has the structure of a girl power movie. I think there are far better movies of that genre if you wanted to go down that route. But I'm definitely not the target demo, so take whatever I say with a grain of salt. Um, but the movie just starts with this like it. It's this whole she's a, she's a soccer player who's not allowed to play with the boys and she's not given a fair chance. So she dresses in drag and goes and play with plays with them and is incredible. It's just a really silly plot and her and her and the other here and the other love interest fall in love. It's basically, yeah, Twelfth Night or even Mulan has a lot of similarities to Mulan except it's not nearly as good. Yeah, silly movie that I don't think I'll ever watch again. <laughs> we did have some fun though and had some drinks. All right. Good on paper. Good on paper. I already talked about last movie that I did watch is Okja, but I don't know if we're going to talk about this all that much because Rachel, you're you are going to watch this this week. Definitely, I have it planned to watch it tomorrow night. Okay. I don't know. Uh, I won't go too much in depth. Then all I'll say is that I recommended it for the Manny Movie Club simply because uh, it's Bong Joon Ho. Uh, it's a movie that I liked upon its release and wanted to give it another go. It had been. I think it came out in 2017, so it had been about four years since I'd watched it. And I, I remember what my first impression was, and I remember thinking it would be a very controversial movie and that people would have uh, would have some strong opinions on it. So I wanted to see that. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to hear what everyone has to say. I haven't looked at the Okja group chat that we have going in a couple of days, but the, the first few messages that I saw were from, I think, yourself, Manny, and from T-Bone just being like, I need a couple of days to digest this movie before I tell you what I think. Yep. And honestly, that was that was the reaction that I was going for. I think it's... Uh... I'm so nervous about it. I, I will, you'll hear about it throughout tonight's episode. I get really emotional when it comes to animal stuff or creature stuff or creature, and then creatures in a captivity. And just from the preview of Oja, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, I don't think Emma will mind me saying this. I watched this with her. Uh, she was, uh, I was going to say borderline sobbing, but I don't think it's even borderline. She was just sobbing for the last little bit of this movie. It's a very, very tough movie at a couple of times. Um, but uh, we will uh, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit more next week. What do you say, Manny? Sounds good. Yeah, okay, awesome. <laughs> Emma, Emma just walked out of the room right now and just pointed at me. <laughs> Yeah, talking about you. <laughs> she, yeah, she was sobbing. All right. Are you? Do you uh, since we're going to discuss a little bit more, you're not going to bother giving it a rating right now, then? I won't. I gave it in the group chat. Okay. Um, I mean, I guess I can say that. Rachel, did you see what I gave Oksha in the group chat? No, I'm not in the group chat yet. Oh, right. Okay. I, I won't say what I got, what I gave it then. All right. Let's move on. Okay. To perfect. the reason we're here. And that is, look at look at the smile on Rachel's face. The Lion King, released June twenty fourth, nineteen ninety four, uh, directed by Roger Allen's and Rob Minkoff, uh, written by Irene Mechi, Jonathan Roberts, and Linda Wolverton, starring Matthew Broderick, James Earl Jones, and Jeremy Irons. Had as a meta score of eighty eight. Uh, it won two Oscars uh, for Best Original Song, Can You Feel the Love Tonight, and Best Original Score by Hans Zimmer. It had two other nominations uh, in the Best Original Song category for Circle of Life and Hakuna Matata. It had a budget of $45 million. It made $422 million in the U.S. alone and $1.08 billion worldwide. The plot Lion Prince Simba and his father are targeted by his bitter uncle who wants to ascend the throne himself. Rachel, you asked to be on this episode. I did. For those that know, this movie is special to you. Why don't you share your spoiler-free thoughts and let us know why this movie means so much to you. Yeah, um, so I think The Lion King is an animated masterpiece. Um, the story is compelling. It deals with, at the time when it came out for a Disney movie, it deals with a lot of mature themes, you know, betrayal and guilt and search for identity and, and legacy. But it did so in a way that worked for kids and adults alike. Um, for me, it, it takes me through a range of emotions of highs and lows when I watch it. Um, and I think it's just a highly entertaining film from start to finish. It's the perfect length for an animated feature at a short 90 minutes. Um, on a personal level, uh, The Lion King has become more important to me in recent years. I know Maddie, when we were doing our top 20, you were surprised that The Lion King wasn't on there. And I bet you if we were to redo our top 20 of all time, it will would, will now have creeped on that list. Um, the Lion King, the animated movie is like, if we were going to go top 10s, would be my fourth favorite animated Disney movie. Um, but uh, I hadn't seen it for a few years. And I hadn't so, um, I know you guys know, my dad passed away in 2015. And I hadn't seen The Lion King around that time and the first time I saw it was when I went to the theater to see the live action and I was a sobbing mess and I actually was I always cry in the animated there's there's a few scenes where I will always cry but now the Lion King has taken on 
it's just taken on different meaning. Like when I was young and when it came out in 94, I was still more into sort of princesses and that kind of stuff. Um, but the Lion King and its themes and um, what it means to me now, having experienced the loss of my one of my parents too soon, has completely changed the way I view the movie, the way I watch it. But uh, I think it's a fantastic film. All right. Sam, your thoughts, spoiler-free, on The Lion King. So I think you'd expect, uh, with me being born in 1996 and this movie coming out in 1994, I think it would be reasonable to expect that this would be a movie that I grew up on. And uh, it very much wasn't, actually. It very much wasn't a part of my childhood growing up. I don't. I, I must have watched The Lion King when I was a kid. I'm convinced that I did, especially because I know that my dad loves this movie, and I think my brother does as well. Um, but I didn't watch it a whole lot. It was pretty scary movie, and as Rachel pointed out, a pretty mature movie as well. Um, so it does it does cover a variety of mature themes, legacy, destiny. One that I think Rachel. I, I don't know if you did say this, but. I'm always surprised going back and rewatching Lion King to what extent Simba's guilt is explored. Guilt seems like a very heavy theme for, for children. Um, so that has always kind of taken me by surprise. But even moreover, uh, I think the animation is excellent. And unfortunately for children, the animation is excellent in the scenes that are a little scarier. The climactic battle uh is a little scary for young kids as well as the elephant graveyard scene that always scared me when i was a kid so um lion king didn't really come into my life in a serious way until i was a teenager um but i have seen it probably about four four or five times in the last uh, yeah, probably about once a year for the last five years at least and then a couple of times before that um it is a movie that speaks to me on a really deep level it's incredibly emotional as all disney movies are now as far as 2d animation goes uh the visuals in lion king are as good as any other in the disney canon uh you mentioned manny that this uh was it nominated or it must have been nominated for score for hans zimmer it won it won won. okay because as you know hans zimmer is just my boy i love that man uh, composes all the best themes for uh, for Christopher Nolan's movies and a variety of others. Uh, for my money, he's the best film composer alive, not named John Williams. Ooh, I, I was about <laughs> to slap some faces there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, John Williams still still remains uh, the king of that, but Hans Zimmer not far behind. Um, I've also long maintained that Mulan, which is a movie I did grow up on very much so, um, Mulan contains the best individual song in the Disney canon, and that remains true, in my opinion. I'll make a man out of you, and I'll uh, I'll fight anybody who says that I'll make a man out of you I is the best song. <laughs> However, top to bottom, the Lion King soundtrack is exceptional. It is absolutely exceptional. When you think about the impact on popular culture, there's really only one song, um, Be Prepared, which I don't think has really seeped its way into mainstream parlance, but I feel like I Just Can't Wait to Be King, Hakuna Matata are all just like super iconic songs. 
um, both for Disney and just in general. And you're going to hear me throw that word around a lot. Iconic as, as it as I usually do when it comes to these sorts of movies. So I'll, I'll kind of leave it there for now. Uh, this movie was horrifying to me as a child. Uh, and the more I grow as a person, the more I realize just how mature this movie is. It deals with destiny and guilt and, uh, the circle of life and uh, family in a, in a mature way that I I'm still learning to comprehend. Um, oh, and one last thing, Scar, a tier villain, fantastic villain. I love Scar. I can't believe I almost went out a non-spoiler without saying that, but Scar is one of my favorite villains in all of Disney. Fantastic. When this movie came out in 1994, I hated it. Whoa. Yeah. Now, that was because, as this should become as a surprise to nobody, that I, at that time, not that much has changed, I was a contrarian. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Shocker. I know. But even with me being uh, a contrarian, I found that uh, I still didn't like this movie because only two years prior, my favorite Disney movie had come out, Aladdin. And I didn't feel that this came anywhere near approaching the entertainment value that I got from Aladdin. Like, it not even it's not even a discussion when it comes to entertainment value for me. As I've gotten older and grown more appreciative, because in 1994, I had only just begun my transformation of liking movies to appreciating film to make this all... Uh, hoity-toity as possible. Uh, so I didn't really appreciate everything that was in The Lion King at that time. As time has gone on, I now can understand and see why it's considered one of the greatest animated films of all time. Entertainment-wise, it's still, in all honesty, for 2D animated, I bet you it probably doesn't crack my top 10 for for entertainment if i'm gonna look at it in regards to importance and quote unquote best then yes it would probably easily make that list but entertainment if you were to ask me hey let's put on a 2d animated movie that you love to watch this is far down the list i shouldn't say far down the list it's just nowhere near the top and I will completely echo your statement, though, that the soundtrack of this movie is probably as a whole at the top of the list. I would have to sit down and think of an, what other film I could possibly put in the same, and I can't. The only one that would compete for me that's from Disney isn't animated. It has animation in it, and that would be Mary Poppins. But uh, I can't think of any of the other ones that I think could probably compete as a whole. And I agree. I think Be Prepared is probably the only f song from this film that hasn't gained an iconic status and has permeated pop culture. Uh, I completely concur about... Scar being a top-notch Disney villain, I kind of made a list of best 2D animated Disney villains, and 
I think he's number one, in my opinion. Uh, the other people I had uh, in contention were Ursula from Little Mermaid. She would be near the bottom. I always loved Cruella DeVille from 101 Dalmatians. Always a fan, despite his bumbling idiocy, Captain Hook from Peter Pan. A villain that terrified me as a child is Shere Khan from Jungle Book. As a villain himself, I don't think he's all that great. But the way they animated him and his speech and all that terrified me as a young boy. And the last two are the only two that I would put as legitimate contenders against Scar for best anima- 2D animated villain. Despite my distaste for the film, Hades from Hercules. Saw that coming. And yeah. the other one is just an absolute sheer joy because he has an incredible song in his film, and that's Gaston from Beauty and yeah. the Beast. All good picks. Yeah. Can't, can't argue with any of that. Yeah. I'm I'm currently looking up uh, Disney villains that just to just to get a list in my head yeah. too. Um, the one and... from Mulan was really scared me. And yeah, I, mean, she... I was 19 when it came up. But... Yeah. Sean Yu scared me when I was a kid for sure. That's the that's the Mulan villain. Um, who else is on this list here? Scar's number one, uh, Cruella, um, Ursula, um, Chernabog from Fantasia. That's not one that I'm familiar with. Never seen Fantasia. Um, the, the Wicked Stepmother from Cinderella is on this list. No. Jafar. Jafar, I, I don't mind Jafar. Jafar, yeah. Jafar was a hard cut on this list I made. <laughs> yeah, Jafar yeah, not... is, like, he's so, he's creepy and he's evil, but I think it's like it's just what Scar does. Scar, Scar is, to... I think Scar is the most cunning villain ever put to, yeah. to that that Disney has ever put together. He's certainly the most interesting, I think. Okay. Uh, just right for, right from his introduction, um, he just gets this beautiful little soliloquy of him talking. I mean, I guess we're we're getting into spoilers here, but his his right from his introduction when he gets his own soliloquy, he just tells a tiny little mouse and the audience about his own deepest, darkest desires. Mm-hmm. And from that moment until the end of the movie, he's for my money, probably the most interesting character in it. I, yeah, I'd be interested if anybody had another pick. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Rachel, it's your film. Why don't you take us into spoilers? Okay, so I feel like the pressure's on. It is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so if you've been living on a, under a rock and have under, not seen under Pride Rocks, under Pride Rock, <laughs> and have not seen this almost thirty-year-old movie or know the story of the Lion King, now's your chance to go do so. We're gonna get into spoilers in three, two, one. Go fuck yourself. Well done. Well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> you were waiting for that opportunity for redemption. I'm yeah. sorry, one, I, I do have one other uh, note from my non-spoiler section I wanted to say. It was just that it's really a shame that uh, William Shakespeare got away with stealing so shamelessly from The Lion King. Yeah. For Hamlet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, have some, I have some notes on that, too. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Who's got the barking dog? Not me. Sorry, that's, that's at my place. <laughs> I can't believe you can hear that. Oh, I can oh, hear yeah, it too. loud and clear. Yeah. <laughs> right, let me, I'll just put myself on mute. 
<laughs> no, it's all right. You don't have to do that. I'd be going inside. It's all good. Okay, yeah. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Let's start off with the, for lack of a better word, that we are going to use probably repeatedly, the iconic opening scene to this film. The sunrise, the panning of the multiple types of animals in this African setting, two Simbas being raised uh, almost the same way that Michael Jackson raised his son off the balcony, uh, and the opening song, Circle of Life. Thoughts on this part of the film? Sam? Uh, uh, I think that the what, what I have called the sunrise over the savannah uh, is one of the most iconic openings to a movie in the last 30 years. Um, it's reached its way into the cultural uh into into the culture in a way that other disney movies haven't i think the circle of life is an awesome introduction to not only our characters not only a a great introduction into the idea of the royal family uh, in this movie being the lions uh, but also um, a great introduction into the themes into the circle of life itself into the role that that plays in uh, how the lions view their world and how the world views them and why it even is that they have power in the first place and where their power comes from. Um, so right from the get-go in the movie, we have an excellent look into why it is that this system even exists in the first place and why this is a story worth telling and why that even though I made the joke about uh, Shakespeare borrowing from this one, of course, in reality, this movie borrows pretty heavily from Hamlet, um, why it is that this movie why this story is worth telling in the first place instead of Hamlet. And I think there's, it has a lot of interesting stuff to say about uh, nature and the nature of ruling. Um, and that is all sort of summed up in the circle of life, which can be viewed as an overture in, at the beginning of a musical. I was just checking out a list of I, the, the 40 greatest uh, opening scenes in a film, and Lion King is at number nine. Just wanted to. Ch- the, I just, I just, the, gra- the greatest, the greatest of all time. Greatest of all time. Uh well, I uh, pers- I feel like we've been through this list maybe before, but because uh, I would choose Memento as one of them. Memento's not even on the list. Oh, that's a shame. Because that, or maybe not even the opening scene, but the opening shot of him uh, of him shaking the photo and having it uh, be erased. I've always loved that. This list, um, this list is pretty messed up. God, opening scene. Uh, Pulp Fiction, maybe? That's number eight. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I can't think of anything. That's why. Why do I forget every movie I've ever seen all of a sudden? <laughs> one, one of your one of your all time favorite movies is number four. Um. Oh, Dark Knight. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, is Saving Private Ryan is uh, is Omaha Beach considered the first scene? Because there is a little, there's a little prologue before it. They, I don't see it on this list. Yeah, it must so they, not be considered. The they, they must not be considering it. Number hmm. eighteen bothers me. There's no way it should be that high. And that's what is it? The opening to Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, where Peter, oh. Qu- like where the young Peter Quill says goodbye to his mom. Not only is the opening to Guardians of the Galaxy not 
one of the best of all time. It's not even the best opening to a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 has a far better opening of uh, of them fighting the monster and baby group dancing. Yeah. Yeah, there's 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 ones on here that shouldn't be on here. So what's, what's number one out of curiosity? Uh, number one is the Dawn of Mankind, two thousand one. Oh, yeah, okay, fair enough. Number two, I like, and that's Raiders of the Lost Ark: The Boulder Chase. Yep, fine, love that. Number three is Star Wars, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Cool. Number four is a Dark Knight. Number five. An interesting choice. It definitely was shocking at its time, but I don't think it deserves to be number five, and that's the opening to Scream. As soon as you said it was shocking at the time, I was like, I bet it's Scream. (laughs) I like the pick. Number six. I didn't think it would be this high, but I I like it. I don't know if I could put it number six, and that's up. Yep. I think I'm in favor of that. If you ask anybody what their favorite part of up is, it's usually that. Except for me. It's not my favorite part. Number seven, uh, a movie I haven't seen, uh, Touch of Evil. No, don't know it. Number eight is Pulp Fiction. Number nine is Lion King. And number ten is Jaws. Okay, yes. Okay, all right. Yeah. And then I'll stop there. Reasonable. Reasonable enough. Yeah. Yeah, we can go down the list all night. I know, we could. It's actually a pretty fun list, but there's some on there that I don't agree with. Uh, I, I, was just, I was just curious because I, I – I do like that statement of it being iconic and one of the greatest movies of opening of all time, especially in the last 30 years. So I was just mm-hmm. interested to see what uh, uh, that, that list for those interested is from the website Screen Rant, uh, actually a, a fairly, fairly good uh, website for, for film. Uh, my un, in my unbiased opinion, the opening to Inglorious Bastards should be on there too. That was number 14, if I remember correctly. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, for me, the opening scene is first the first set of tears for the movie. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For both the animated and the live action. Just so no time wasted. Scene, yeah, not even thirty seconds in, and I'm already tearing up. You can't. Call I it. find the opening scene for The Lion King to be so powerful, and even though there is the song, The Circle of Life is playing for there to be no spoken words up until we get that awesome shot of the title with the music just being like boom and then we move forward like i love this scene it is obviously in contention for my favorite scene of the movie um but i get chills and i get so excited every time this movie starts Hmm. fair enough i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna take this opportunity to be a complete asshole right now of course right uh i i i don't you you can't call the newest lies newest lies king li- live action there's nothing live action about it it's all still cgi yeah, but that's what it's called <laughs> that's what it's called they, i didn't make that up it's not rachel's term live action that's what they call it <laughs> i know and i still fucking hate it well too bad for you <laughs> In the photorealism version of The Lion King. Perfect. There. Now you're being accurate. <laughs> now you're being accurate. Yeah, everyone's happier about that right now. That's I'm awesome. I'm definitely <laughs> accurate. I'm definitely happier. Uh, next up I have uh, – you can touch on whatever parts you want. Uh, but for me, the, the next part I have is uh, the Simba and Mufasa connection. Uh, James Earl Jones is 
fucking magnificent as Mufasa. Mm. They could not have casted anybody better than James Earl Jones for this role. There were some other people in contention uh, and consideration for the role, which is probably shocking now since Mufasa is so iconic in James Earl Jones' voice work. Yet again, iconic. That's two that he has in his under his belt in his yep. life that will go down in history. Uh, sadly, uh, I can't say the same uh, for Jonathan Taylor Thomas or Jonathan Thomas Taylor, whatever the fuck his name is. Taylor Thomas, I think he had it right the yeah, first time. JT, JTT. JTT. While I'm, I know that we all grew up with it, uh, in retrospect, it is fairly sad that we have a movie set in Africa and we have a young white blonde boy playing an African lion with a black father. Yeah, a lot of like pretty large white cast. If, yeah. if there's one thing that the um, <clears throat> photorealism Lion King got right, <laughs> it's that it, <laughs> it primarily uh, pr- primarily cast uh, black people in the in the main roles. Uh, yep. I think Donald Glover, Beyonce. Um, <laughs> the only other person who comes to mind is Seth Rogen. He does not fit the bill, but you get what I'm saying. It's like a, yeah, all a the more cast. Right. But, yeah, exactly. People of, color. Like, yeah. people of color in a movie about the African savannah in 1994. I think all that we got was probably James Earl Jones and Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, and the the queen, and uh, Sarabi. Sarabi's, yeah. Right, right. Okay, fair enough. Which uh, I'm sh- I'm sure Rachel knows, but uh, the James Earl Jones and, and the actress say? who plays uh, Sarabi also played monarchs, married monarchs in another film. Uh, coming to America. Hmm. Uh, the uh, James Earl Jones. Th- I guess. I guess we can touch on it here because I, I hinted at it before. Um, I'm. I did hint at that. I don't think the cast is great, and what I'm saying is, generally, if you have a cast overall that is fantastic, we'll use. An easy, uh, an easy one. You know what? Yeah, even that one has a mistake. But an easy one to pick is something like Ocean's Eleven. The whole cast mm-hmm. of Ocean Eleven is great. I would probably recast the tech guy. He's fine in it and funny, but you could definitely do better. Uh, I personally, I, I, I like most people in this. In fact, the only ones I probably don't like are is the main character. Uh, I I don't like Matthew Broderick's voice performance all that much. It just it definitely doesn't suit the character, especially considering I'm supposed to believe that this almost high pitched whiny voice is the son of Mufasa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's and he's supposed to be very regal and kingly. Yes, like again. It's it's a minor nitpick, but could you imagine how great this would have been if you would have had someone like Denzel as that voice? Yeah, yeah are you kidding me? That like, like some... I mean, you can you can say, can you imagine how much better this movie would be with Denzel about literally like any movie I've made that doesn't have Denzel in it? Totally fair. I was just trying to think of somebody with a, a really great, a, a nice voice that in the early '90s would have been young enough to have been in that role. So even. I, De- our friend Dan Lewis. Uh, fuck, fuck yeah. <laughs> Our good friend Dan Lewis just takes a little break in between filming what would have been uh, Last, Mohicans Last of the Mohicans and what would have been next, The Boxer in the Name of the Father. And in the Name of the yes. Father would have been next, I think. No, that's yeah. even before this because that's no, 93. Yeah, yeah, I think Name in the Father is 93. 93. It's, ne- it's 
it's uh the year before so the boxer i'm not i'm i'm trying to i'm trying to do it off the top of my head age of innocence is in the 80s i would have to say the boxer i think after the name of the father he takes a it takes a pretty big break uh, like do, do you do you want the answer yeah yeah age of innocence and in the name of the father are both 93 okay so uh 96 is his next movie the crucible the crucible okay and then boxer 97 all right uh so the... Yeah, I would say Simba is not my favorite voice work either. But for the time of '94, when you think back and JTT and Matthew Broderick, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, espe- especially JTT. Yeah. You get it with JTT. Yeah, yeah. Matthew Broderick wasn't really quite riding that high at that time. Uh, specifics. No, was he already over? Were you already over Matthew Broderick then? When, when was Ferris Bueller? 86, 86, 88, yeah. around there. Yeah, so we're some time removed from that already. Uh, but the uh, a lot of the other cast, and I, I'm, I'm going to leave Scar aside for a second. I want to stick mm-hmm. to pretty much any character except for Scar. Mm-hmm. I actually did know that that was Rowan Atkinson. Oh, as Zazu? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until... until Yesterday, when I started writing up my notes, I oh really? Not a clue, wow. not a clue. Wow. Uh, I will, I will go ahead and say, uh, big fan of Rowan Atkinson over here. Not just in this movie, although in this movie as well. I like Rowan Atkinson. I grew up with the with the Mr. Bean live action uh, comedy mm-hmm. uh, series, uh, hilarious. And every time I see him in a movie, uh, I have a lot of fun. Um, Manny, we just talked about him in was it three weddings or four weddings and a funeral. We yeah. just talked about him in. Yeah, he was one of my favorite parts of that movie, and he's one. He's one of these guys who's one of the best parts of everything he's in, as long as he's used in moderation, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, Zazu Zazu is a great character too. Perfect. Uh, um, I I, go I ahead. briefly just wanted to also say I didn't explicitly say this, but I really should. This scene between Mufasa and Simba of them walking around talking about the circle of life and Mufasa giving him the tour of hit what will be his kingdom is such a beautiful scene to me. Yep. Uh, voice work of Jonathan Taylor Thomas notwithstanding. Um, this scene of him explaining to him how the circle of life works and telling him, yes, well, we do eat the antelope, but when we die, uh, we become the grass and the antelope eat us and we take our place in the circle of life. It's such a beautiful concept and hearing it from James Earl Jones, beautiful baritone vocals. Gosh, darn it. It just gives me a case of the warm and fuzzies. Totally. Rach. Yeah, no, I really like that scene too. Um, but I really like just about every scene in the movie. So (laughs) there is, and I mean, I don't want to compare and contrast too much with the photorealistic movie, but there is a quote in that one that I wish they had used in the animated, or if they did, I missed it. So tell me if he says, if Mufasa says, um, well, others search for what they can take, a true king searches for what he can give. No, it's not. Does he say that in this? Yeah, so that one is in the... Um, you can call it, you can call it live action. I like okay, it. Okay, so... yeah, the live action. Okay, so was <laughs> I was I was literally just gonna say the same thing. You're allowed to say what? And he's just busting your balls. I'm just busting your balls. <laughs> I am just busting your balls, um, but I legitimately hate that it's called live action. I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> um, so that line, like again, coming from James Earl Jones' mouth, it was is such a great line in that scene. I just I wish it was in the '94 version. Yeah, it's a great line. Totally. <laughs> uh. 
okay, let's let's get on. Let, let's touch on him, even though we touch on some more. Let's talk about Scar. Yeah. Go ahead, Rach. <laughs> lead, lead us into the Scar discussion. Um, well, we kind of already touched on most of it, but Scar, I, I would say he's the best Disney villain. Um, I don't know, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed, uh, with Disney movies, every villain outside of Hades, I think is the one I can really think about in my head because he's blue, but all villains are, there's always something green about them. I don't know if Disney is what, who made green, like the evil color. But you've got Scar's eyes are green, and when he's in the soldier, when he's singing, be prepared, everything's green. When Ursula rises up, she's green. The evil queen is green. Um, Maleficent, her aura is all green. So um, that's sort of just a little side Disney um, super fan fact. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Yeah, so Scar immediately, well, I mean, you already know, looking at him, you know he's the bad guy, but uh, his eyes are green, whereas uh, all the other lions in the movie, their eyes are either brown, except for I think Nala's are, are blue, or green or something. Uh, all the movies are green. No, no, they're blue. Um, so I, I, I love Scar's introduction. There's a lot that you learn about him really quickly, really early on, and then have we already talked about him and Mufasa meeting after Simba's, I don't know, was it a ba blessing, baptism, ceremony? Introduction. Introduction, yeah. So I think that first interaction between Scar and Mufasa sets the stage so perfectly for everything that comes after it. And and it's not that long of a, of an, uh, of a conversation between them but you get everything you need to know to understand, not agree with, but understand Scar's motivation later on in the movie. Yeah, this this movie is really incredibly well-paced. There is almost nothing that I could cut from this movie. And so, yeah, this, this scene between Mufasa and Scar is done perfectly well. It sets up their dynamic their relationship their history uh scar is set up great as a villain he is so sly and cunning and so quick-witted and slippery with his tongue yeah his voice is very um it's like almost jeremy irons and when he does scar, it's almost like Alan Rickman-y. Yes. Like, it's very mm. smooth and slippery the way he talks and how every word is pronounced a certain way and has double meaning to it. I love I love Jeremy Irons in this. I would have loved Alan Rickman as Scar. Yeah, he would have been good. I, I, uh, I got to give Emma credit as we were watching this scene of uh, Mufasa and Scar interacting for the first time, she looks at me and says, "Tell me this isn't Thor and Loki. <laughs> this is this is the exact same dynamic of like the 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 brave, courageous, uh, royal brother. The I, I think he's the older brother, uh, and his and his younger, uglier, less charming but more cunning little brother who covets the throne and covets power. It's just like the exact same dynamic, and I thought yeah. that was a funny thing to point out, but." This intro for Scar, as I kind of already said in the in the non-spoiler, but I'll expand upon a little bit more here, is just the the soliloquy, him, the shot of him 
holding the mouse in front of him saying, life's just not fair, is it? Just right from that first line. It's so silky and smooth. Um, and he's so condescending. You get the idea that he's really the only person in Pride, Wa- Pride Rock who is able to talk to the king this way. When uh, when he says uh, he says the line to Mufasa, I shall practice my curtsy. And he's just like so not giving him the time of day. He's so disrespectful, but in a way that allows for some plausible deniability. And like you said, Rachel, he lays out basically his entire motivation in this scene that uh, he, he he's jealous. Uh, he, he alludes a couple of times to the fact that he was in line for the throne until Simba came along. Uh, and it's it's a great scene. And uh, yeah, Jeremy Irons is doing fantastic work. Maybe not as fantastic as uh, as Alan Rickman would have done, but still pretty good. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I have a yeah. Oh, sorry. No, please, Rachel. I was say I have a small and tell me, like I know that some of your trivia will probably overlap with like some things about Disney that Doesn't I even know. Matter. So go right, you fire so, away. Oh, okay. Um. So and this is like I have some Easter eggs and some Disney references that are. Some of them are pushing it. Take it for what for what you will. But they say that Scar's scar is identical to uh, Tony Montana's in Scarface. <laughs> that's kind of ridiculous hmm. yeah but look at uh, but, but, but look it up They'll, they do a side by side i didn't know that yeah. i've got a few of those and it's very like super disney fandom stuff but mm. yeah oh, that's good next up we have one of the highlights of the film and that's the elephant graveyard scene mm. i am at this point very impressed with the film at uh, in this scene. Uh, so well done, so well scored by Hans Zimmer, expertly shot and perfectly paced to set up this tension. I, re- I do remember this being scary in 94 when I saw it, and I was still 19 years old uh, being impressed. Like, I wasn't, like, cowering in my seat, but I'm like, this is really good for a Disney film. And uh, it's really well done. We do get the introductions to the hyenas, uh, played by Whoopi Goldberg and Cheech Marin. I don't know who voices Ed. I know I could look it up. Jim Cummings. <clears throat> no idea who that is. Um, so he took over the voice for Winnie the Pooh after... Uh, so he's a voice actor. Yeah, after yeah. a homicide. Um, yeah, the, he's in some Disney movies, voice actor. Hmm. Uh, I love I love this whole elephant graveyard sequence. The the first instance where my attention was really drawn to the score is where they're sliding down one of the the spines, and the entire orchestra plays this little descending line in the middle of the piece. They just interrupt whatever they're playing and do this. <laughs> and I, I I loved I love the attention to detail like that. It's something that uh, that good directors do and good composers do. Um, even outside of the elephant graveyard, um, when Mufasa shows up and saves the day, uh, there's this awesome shot, this awesome, awesome shot of uh, Simba stepping behind Mufasa, and we pan down to his paw inside uh, Mufasa's bigger paw print, and it sort of gives you the impression like he's realizing he has very big shoes to fill, and it's a great little visual metaphor, and I've, I've, I don't know why I've noticed that, that the last too. couple of times. It's awesome. I have that note too. That's one of my f- favorite moments in the movie is when Simba puts his paw in, in Mufasa's paw print. Mm-hmm. 
That dog's still going crazy, hey? <laughs> oh, driving me nuts. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Time for them to put him inside. <laughs> I guess after the uh, elephant graveyard, we have the very another very important scene, and that's uh, Mufasa and Simba. Uh, I guess kings and the stars scene. I don't know. That's what we want to call it. Yeah, when he he gives them the yeah. monologue about how um, Simba says something incredibly naive as a child would, saying they're they're going to be together forever or something like that, and Mufasa tells him that um, just as all the great kings of the past live in the stars, uh, he will always be there, uh, living in the stars as well. So something of a, something of a force ghost as well, mm-hmm. James Earl Jones for for the second time. Yeah, well, I guess James Earl Jones was never a force ghost. True. Yeah. <laughs> True. Some crusty old white man. Yeah, exactly. I can't remember that actor's name. Uh, shit, that's going to bug me. That's yeah. going to really bother me. I'm looking it up because it's going to bug David me. David Prose. Oh, that was going to bug me. Woo! <laughs> I, was gonna, I was getting fucking angry. Uh, next up, I have, an, well, yet again, another very famous, very iconic scene. Uh, the Wildebeest Stampede, Mufasa's death. Yeah. Uh, just even before we get to that, I do yeah. have uh, just a note on uh, on Be Prepared, mm-hmm. uh, the song that Scar sings that I said is a little bit, it's not hasn't quite reached the same uh, cultural symbol status that the other songs in this movie have. But it is, it's not quite as common, I don't feel like, for the villain to get an I Want song, or at least it's not required. Uh, for those not familiar with that terminology, usually, I mean, Disney song, Disney movies in particular, but really all musical theater have uh i am songs as introductions for their characters and i want songs as well and be prepared is one that's definitely an i want song and usually you give those to your main character like uh, like bell gets an i i want song in the, in the beginning of uh of beauty and the beast um but it's it's not as common for the villain to get one as well and this, this is a, a pretty good one in spite of it not being uh the, the, on the same level as the rest of the soundtrack as as far as worst songs in the soundtrack go it's not bad yeah i and i don't know why it doesn't have more popularity because as as a villain song it's awesome yeah and and to watch it as well and, and there is you know the similarities they they do mention that there's the similarities to the terrazzo air force academy in colorado and you know, there's a scene where there's, like they say, they, the hyenas when they're marching look like Nazis. And like, you, there's a whole bunch of fandom articles on stuff like that. But for the song itself, like I, so behind the curtains, I listen to Disney songs when I clean the house because obviously cleaning sucks. So, and listening to Disney songs makes it more fun. And I don't know, I don't know why Be Prepared doesn't have more even recognition as a villain song because it's it's a good song Mm -hmm. it's okay (laughs) uh rachel can maybe you can explain this to me why the hyenas are referring to scar as uncle that felt that that felt weird for me i I didn't really have an explanation for that oh i never noticed that yeah, the the hyenas call Scar Uncle Scar a couple of times. I am sure it's just a term of endearment. Like I have people in my life I call Uncle who aren't actually related to me, but it just it seemed it kind of struck me as odd. Beef. 
I wonder if it's in this, like a movie goof. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Not if they do it more than once. I honestly can't remember if they do. I feel I like they know. must. I feel like I feel like both hyena, I, the the hyena is voiced by uh, by Cheech and by Whoopi Goldberg. I think both call him uncle at one point. Although I would need to go back and rewatch to to actually confirm that. Um, but yeah, anyway, Manny, I didn't want to uh, interrupt your train of thought. No, uh, please take us please take us to the stampede. All right. So the Willoughby stampede and Mufasa's death, uh, visually stunning. It was a revelation at its time. And the score is just working overtime here in a mm-hmm. good way. It is Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. <laughs> Let's go. Which am I mistaken? I is this not his only Oscar win? He didn't that... did he win for Gladiator? No. He lost he lost oh. no, he lost they lost to Crouching Tiger. Oh. Let's see. <laughs> uh Academy Award. Yeah, wow. It doesn't look like yeah, he's received four Grammys, three Classical Brit Awards, two Golden Globes, and an Academy Award, according yep. to his Wikipedia page. Wow, that's his only one. Yep, that's crazy. Not that really. is absolutely crazy to me. Not really. <laughs> what do you mean, not really? <laughs> <laughs> he does all the Nolan movies, and all those scores are fucking awesome. The Interstell- Interstellar score. Say what you will about that movie, as far as uh, Christopher Nolan's filmography, the Interstellar score is absolutely incredible. As well as the Inception score. Okay. I've referenced this many times on the podcast before, but the the Inception noise was just in every movie after that. After Inception, there was a good five years where every film score needed to have a tuba going blah for some reason. I lo- one of my one of the things I one of the many things I love about you, Sam, is <laughs> I actually had no idea that that was a tuba making that sound. I think it, it must be. I wouldn't. I'm not. I'm. I'm not. Dis, I'm not disputing your. I. I just love that you know that that that's. I would. <laughs> if you're like Manny, I'll pay you a million dollars if you tell me what made that sound. I'd be like, a synthesizer. It might be a synth. I don't know. I. I just assumed. I have no. I have no idea. I have. I have no musical talent whatsoever or musical recognition. Just an appreciation. Okay. Uh, a quick Google search. Actually, the the plot thickens. Um. The the I guess this is a website or a magazine or something. Vulture uh, states that the Inception horn is actually made up of five different instruments playing one note at top volume together. The French horn, the bassoon, the trombone, the tuba, and the timpani for some reason. Right. So, huh, you learn something new every day. Perfect. <laughs> Your thoughts on the Wildebeest Stampede and Mufasa's death, Sam? Um, another scene that scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> um, uh, this scene is way too heavy for a kid's movie. I I don't say that necessarily to criticize it. It's just heavier than I would have expected, um, than I would have come to expect from a Disney movie. But, um, Scar is one conniving, plotting, sadistic motherfucker. And it is so clear, um just how easily he is able to manipulate people to do what he wants, especially when it comes to Simba. Poor naive Simba is always, I think, I guess twice in this movie now, walking into these traps that Scar is setting for him, just hook, line, and sinker. And yeah, the Wildebeest sequence, I uh, was always scared as as a kid. And it is, on top of being visually stunning, um, very tense. It's a very tense scene, uh, fantastically edited, um, 
you get Simba in danger multiple points, Mufasa in danger at multiple points, and the, the tension is always ratcheted right up, right until the moment Scar grabs Mufasa's claws, and, and he leans down to him and says that dirty villain line, the one that I just hate where he says, long live the king. Just the perfect villain execution line. Love it. So, so perfectly evil, and you just, you can just feel the you can just feel the hate, uh, as James Earl Jones would say in another one of his movies. He just you can feel the hate flowing through Scar in that moment where he looks him in the eyes and says, Long live the king and throws him into the wildebeest. What what a fantastic movie moment. It gets me going. Awesome. Rachel? Yeah, my note on the gorge and the antelope stampede is just I can't. I can't. <laughs> I like as soon as Scar and Simba start walking and even the funny kind of throwaway line where Simba's like, well, I like the surprise. And Scar says it's to die for. I'm like starting my anxieties building up. And yeah, so this is scene two where I'm, I'm crying for sure crying. And if this scene, I always say if this scene was even 30 seconds longer, I would be ugly crying. <laughs> but they, they seem they perfectly... They know when they have to end it. I always found like it, it. Sometimes it feels a little too long, but I do find that they end it perfectly. Like if it went on a little bit longer, it would have been way too sad. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> not to say that it isn't very sad, but it's it's the difference between crying and ugly crying. If it had gone longer, I have a hard time with this scene. And like I also have um, a note on the score during the scene. Is is it's, it's spectacular. Uh, I want to say that Hans Zimmer did win the uh, he won the Golden Globe. Fuck off, Gladiator. Fuck off for the Gladiator. Fuck off for the fuck for off. Gladiator fuck score. Off. Oh my fuck god, off. Manny. Oh my god. <laughs> we do not talk about Golden Oscar, Globes for an Oscar, Manny. Thank you. While I am talking, <laughs> he was nominated <laughs> for an Oscar for the last movie that Rachel was on the show for, and that's as good as it gets. Yeah, and I, a Gladiator is one is usually the score that I, if off the top of my head, when people say what's your favorite score. Usually Gladiator is the one that I say. Gladiator's a great nice. choice. Don't ever bring up the Golden Globes. The go- <laughs> Jesus. The, the Gold- so sensitive. The Golden Globes are a fucking joke. You might as well you <laughs> might you might as well reference the, the, the kids' choice awards in the same breath as the Golden Globes. Yeah, that's the same level of quality. It is yeah, the same level of quality. Eighty four eighty eighty four people that have nothing to do with the industry are the people that chose the Golden Globes. Nothing to do with the industry. You're telling me if you just surveyed like five random kids on the street at the same level of quality as the Golden Globes? Yes. These are the same people that nominated Johnny Depp for The Tourist as Best Actor. Yeah, those are primo people there. Primo. Okay. Uh, these are the Glenn same Close people that put for these, best are, actress. these are the same people that put in The Martian as a comedy. Awesome. Oh my god. Yeah. Great. Because the Oscars because the Oscars always get it right. I didn't say they got it right. I said at least they know what they're doing. I mean, you're doing. saying that the Golden Globes get it wrong once and they're bad for the tourists. Not once. If you you honest do you are you honestly telling me that you're like the Golden Globes is a prestigious award? No, I'm just salty that you cut me off just because I said the words Golden Globe. Yeah, because I you using them as a reference to as some type of uh accolade is a joke. A joke. All right, man. I mean, it's literally in the section awards on Hans Zimmer's page, so I was just reading it off. That's yeah. it. That's and all I was doing. There's a whole bunch of other awards you can put in there, too. Name the BAFTAs. Name People's Choice Awards. Fine. Whatever. The Golden Globes. The Golden Globes are so shitty, NBC has kicked them off their fucking program. 
<laughs> you feel very. I always I'm like believe me. I am the. I am not a Golden Globes defender. I am shocked to even be on this side of this discussion right now. But I can't believe you feel this strongly about the Globes. I've always felt this strongly about the Globes. I fucking hate them. I I can't believe people use them in their marketing. It, it's a joke of a fucking organization, and I'm so glad that NBC. And now other studios have now realized that that is the case, and they are no longer supporting it. Good riddance, fuck off and die. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. This has been our review of Golden Globes. I hope you enjoy. Don't forget to uh, like and subscribe. <laughs> yeah, it's a joke of an organization. Hate them. Cheers. Always Cheers. have. Always have. Ent right. Entertaining show, horrible organization. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, Hans Zimmer also won the Golden Globe for The Lion oh, King Jesus as well. Christ. So I just wanted to just wanted to point that out. Holy fuck balls! Which apparently is a is a contentious, uh, horrible thing to say. Yes, it is to reference okay, it as good. some type of positive. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, the only thing I guess I'll add here, the the Wildebeest Stampede. It is incredibly shot, uh, incredibly animated. Uh, I think I found some research on it. I think it took up to three years to animate everything in this because of the amount of animals used in it. It is a very harrowing scene. The Long Live the King delivery by Jeremy Irons is absolutely spellbinding, perfectly timed. Won't lie, I would love to hear Alan Rickman give that line. <laughs> but Irons is amazing uh, as Scar, and this, for me, is his highlight. The... Discovery of the body um, by Simba, uh, him crawling under the paw, uh, it almost got me. It, it, I could feel, I could feel the tears. Uh, seeing it made me try to think back. Is this the first time I've watched this since Maya's been born? Possibly. So, because I can tell you right now, prior to me having my daughter, that never elicited a response not an uh, not an indifference i'm not like <laughs> fucking mufasa is dead because uh, it's it is it is well done but uh mm -hmm. i guess again being a father it's made me a little bit more sensitive to these kind of things so it, ca it came close but it didn't elicit it didn't elicit any tears the where this is now where scar comes down and again using his cunning gets Simba to leave the Pride Lands and then we get the always fun uh, trope of where he does escape being killed but his would-be assassins decide to tell their boss that he is dead yeah <laughs> a lovely trope I always love that always comes that always works out for the bad guys in the end what a what a great move by Scar thinking on his feet like this, by the way, just to be like, oh, shit, Simba, this is your fault. You need to leave. Just instantly having that idea to turn it around on Simba because he, he obviously initially intended for them both to die. Uh, so, and then he just has that idea. He's like, oh, I can just say this is Simba's fault. And then uh, and then two birds with one stone. Yeah. Shows the the level of intelligence and cunning of this character. Mm hmm. And the depths he's willing to go to. Like, this is just his little nephew. Yeah, but he was willing to kill his nephew by sending him to the elephant graveyard. So his, yeah. 
going to this depth is, is this is now the second time that he's plunged to this depth. That's so. true. That's true. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah. The Simba leaves and discovers a beautiful oasis of another, uh, I don't know, area of Africa that in all honesty looks a lot more lush and beautiful than the Pride Lands. And this yeah, is where closer he... to a closer to a jungle. Yes. Uh, this is our introduction to fan favorites, Timon and Pumbaa. Sure. Definitely. I would say they're up there in sidekick I... fan favorites, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm saying for this film. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is definitely the kids' favorites characters by far. Yeah, these, these have never been... It could potentially be because uh, I didn't watch this movie a ton as a kid, but mm -hmm. Timon and Pumbaa have never really been my speed entirely hakuna matata is an awesome song and a great number and the chemistry between timon and pumba is awesome in spite of the fact that i'm sure you both have this for trivia in spite of the fact that the two voice actors did not step foot in the same sound booth together <laughs> as is usually they, the, as is usually the case for the majority of of animated films which is am amazing to me yeah, and the fact yeah. that they're able to have this kind of chemistry in spite of that is, uh, yeah, it's amazing to me as well. So yeah, they're, while they're not my favorite characters, obviously in a movie with death and grief and guilt and uh, all of all of these very mature themes, a couple of fart jokes thrown in uh, is completely harmless. And the again, like the timing, like they had to come when they did in the movie, like coming off the scene that we just came from perfect time to introduce the silly sidekicks <laughs> could you imagine if they just continued to plunge the depths of darkness <laughs> we just get um, to see oh sorry go ahead go ahead uh, i was gonna say there's a great sound design moment when uh when i think pumba suggests that they they raise him as one of theirs um and Timon grabs Pumbaa by the ear and screams, are you nuts? And there's a lot of echo on that yell as he's yelling directly into his ear. The, the, the echo on him yelling, are you nuts? Is turned way, way, way up. And it's a great sound design moment. That, oh, uh, I've never noticed I, that. I, I, I never noticed it until this watch, but I, I got a good chuckle out of it. Oh, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, you, me you mentioned the song Hakuna Matata, which is a, a great number. I actually am not a huge fan of the entire song. I really only like the chorus, but mm -hmm. the verses, like the verse about Pumbaa, I find mm -hmm. is wretched. I think it's wretched. I, it's not um, – what's the word I'm looking for? I find it it's... not enjoyable to sing along to, that part, where mm. the chorus of Hakuna Matata is just a, an absolute jam. You know all of it, but that that verse, not for me. Not for yeah, it me. doesn't flow quite as well, does it? No, it's uh, it's like tempo change, and the the lyrics are a little um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Free form, I guess. They're mm -hmm. a little bit um, stream of consciousness. That's the term I'm looking for. They're a little bit uh, loosely flowing. They're not quite as rhythmic. Yes, I guess it's just it's just a tempo change. See, so, yeah, I I can see what you're saying. But the like, don't get me wrong. The chorus, delightful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely delightful. Very catchy. Yeah, the chorus is like it's it's just a great little mantra, bare necessity type. <laughs> oh, like for me, Akuna Matata has never been in my top favorite Disney songs. Um, but that's not to say it's not a great song. It's just yeah, I would agree with you, Manny. Like there's just parts 
the whole song just doesn't flow together as something like um like under the under the sea does. Like it, it's choppy. There we there we go. Little Mermaid is the only other film that I could think could contend as a whole as a soundtrack with The Lion King. Little Mermaid is my number one Disney animated movie. I think I like all the songs, and I think one of my favorite Disney songs, which is nowhere near the top of anybody's list, I love Les Poussins. Yeah, that's a good song. Um... I am gonna. I am gonna uh, a shout out. While I'm, I'm not a huge Timon and Pumbaa fan. I love Nathan Lane. I fucking love him. <laughs> yeah. We last talked about Nathan Lane uh, in the Birdcage. Oh. Uh, while we did not devote an entire episode to that movie yet, uh, you yet. Would... yet, 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 yet. <laughs> uh, Nathan Lane. Uh, I think we agreed on air is the best part of that movie. He is fucking hysterical. And that's in a movie with Robin Williams, a comedy yeah, with him yeah. and Robin Williams. And Robin Williams somehow isn't the best part of it. We we do have two empty slots still to fill this year, Sam. Fuck, Birdcage <laughs> might just be one to go on there. <laughs> I think the movies we've been talking about doing are like Birdcage and Booksmart. And uh, oh, there's yeah, got to be some others. Talking about Booksmart. That would be, you guys should do that one. Oh, yeah, that would be a fun one. Fucking love to do book smart. <laughs> I think you guys should do that one. Mm-hmm. The way, and even honestly, like as somebody who listens to your podcast often, the way you guys talk about book smart when you're talking about it, I, I can't. I'm surprised you haven't done it yet. Like you, I can feel you guys smiling through your words Ugh. when you're talking about book smart. Yeah, we talk about it so much and in such high praise. <laughs> I honestly feel that we've done an episode on it. Like. If you said, hey, you probably could like snippet all the parts if, of the times you've talked about if it you, in an episode. If you would, if you would say, Manny, I'll bet you a hundred bucks that you've done an episode on Booksmart. I would have to think about it. I'd be like, huh, I think we have. <laughs> have we? <laughs> I like I I know that I know that we haven't. I feel like we have. Mm-hmm. I fucking. Love and that. I mean, it's also because chances are one of us is rewatching it at any given point. Uh, like I feel like w- at least once a month, one of us will go. Oh, and I rewatched Booksmart this week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just sort of casually. My my brother sent me a Snapchat of him watching it like three days ago, I think, something like that. And I almost just turned it on right there. I was like, oh. "Fuck, that's a great movie. I should watch it right now." <laughs> I really think Booksmart could crack my top twenty soon. Mm-hmm. I fucking love that yeah. movie. I-, I would not be surprised one bit. It's an excellent little comedy. Uh, that was not your top of 2019, though, right? Because uh, that was because, end, Endgame. Yeah, because end, Endgame just so happened to come out that year. Yeah. What did I have as number? Was Booksmart number two? Must have been two I or think three. Booksmart was your second favorite. Two or three. Yep. Interesting. Well, maybe I, I was. Wow, 20, I think my top my top three that year were Endgame, Jojo Rabbit, and 1917. Yes. And Book Booksmart did not crack that list, but honestly, it's. It's right up there somewhere. I don't know where, but it's up there. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. We flash back to the Pride Lands where Scar is now king and the hyenas have taken over. Um, quick side note. Have you guys seen that TikTok theory about Scar and Mufasa? I don't think no. so. No. All right. Uh, would you... Uh, would you allow me to? Would you would you indulge me 
in uh, sitting tight and hearing about this. uh, This theory is that Scar ate Mufasa. And the TikTok shows um, what what, what they – their reasoning is the last we see of Mufasa's body is in the gorge, Simba running away, and Scar is next to it. Correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Later on in this scene, we see Scar make Zazu sing, right? Yeah. Scar is seen picking up a – He's cleaning some teeth with some bones, and then he picks up a skull, which appears to be a lion skull. So this person on TikTok did some research. He was considered, he thought, okay, well, maybe the hyenas ate Mufasa. The TikTok goes on to show that hyenas don't eat lions, but other lions do, and the skull shown resembles a lion skull. Hence, Mufasa was eaten by Scar. That's a dark interpretation. It is dark. So I did a deeper dive and found a YouTube channel that did a very deep dive on this exact theory. And they completely bust that myth. Because number one, hyenas would eat a dead lion. Okay. They eat everything, including bones. So right there, if the hyenas had ate Mufasa in that valley, there would be no bones for Scar to pick his teeth with and a skull to show off. So that's number number one in the TikTok theory, saying that hyenas don't eat lions. That's busted. Number two, the next thing that they said in the TikTok is that lions eat lions. That is not true. Lions do not eat other lions. They may kill other lions in territory disputes or for the prime spot, but lions eating other lions is incredibly rare. And the last. They don't eat other lions. Oh, hold on. Uh, hold on. Uh, hold on, Rach. We totally lost you there. You got really stuff. Oh. So say that again. No, you're good. You're good now. Go ahead. Good now. I was going to say, don't lions, like, won't a head of a pride eat a competing cub? Cub, yes. Oh, okay. okay. Cubs, yes. But will not eat another lion. Adult lion, okay. Okay. And the last thing is the skull shown by Scar is not a lion skull. It actually Mm. looks to be more like a chimpanzee skull. And they go into incredible depth to show you why it's a chimpanzee skull. But when I first saw that TikTok, I was like, that's some dark ass shit. But of of all the things that happened that I expected to happen tonight and the sentences I expected you to utter, <laughs> Sam, have you seen this TikTok was not one of the yeah, things I expected yeah. you <laughs> was I, not one of the things I expected you Which is say. funny, because I don't have TikTok, so I don't know. Oh, oh, I must I think I saw I saw it on Facebook. That's how I saw it. Yeah. Uh, which I guess shows my age. No, I I don't have TikTok. Yeah, I don't have TikTok. Nor do I care to get it. So I would I'll uh I'll try I'll I'll try and find it and send you guys the the link of sure. the uh of the TikTok because the TikTok itself it makes you completely believe that that is true. But uh this uh, this little uh, YouTube documentary I think it's about fifteen minutes long goes in depth onto why that that 
that little uh, nugget, not true at all. But I, lo- I love seeing it, and I wanted to share it with you guys. Well, I'm happy yeah, that you I got would... to have those few minutes where you believed believed that was true. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I would believe either. I would believe it. I mean, I did. I was like, yeah. 30 seconds. That was like, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, trust me. It's great that the, the way it's composed on, on TikTok, that the video is, uh, is, is very well done. Uh, the, the YouTube breakdown, basically busting that myth because i fucking i miss that show i miss myth so I miss much i fucking love that show uh them breaking it down was uh delightful i must say um but anyways uh thoughts on the scene where we have uh scar as king of the pride lands sorry you cut out are you are you referring oh. to me anybody whoever wants to jump in oh. thoughts on scar at this point, um, I mean, I love the scene where he he is picking his teeth uh, and he's getting Zazu to basically be his jester, and he's, get, he's getting the a bird in a rib cage to sing a little on the nose with that pun, but fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, him. I think uh, Rowan Atkinson sings "I've Got a Lovely Bunch of Coconuts." Gets it gets a chuckle out of me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we get Scar being pretty menacing here. Uh, to Zazu and to his uh, to his hyenas as well. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good sequence. Rach? Yeah, I actually don't have much on that sequence. Okay. <laughs> well, let's... It is as expected. <laughs> uh, we go back to Simba with his new buddies, and uh, Nala shows up. What you guys got We're... on that? Uh, that is a little bit puzzling. Because I am no expert on African geography, um, but they do seem, as we established earlier, they do seem to be quite far away. And Simba went through a great deal of effort to flee as far as he possibly could. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yes, he was a child, but um, this jungle, uh, or wherever it is that they're living, Timon, Pumbaa, and, uh, and Simba, it seems to be quite a ways away from the savannah, and just the the fact that Nala happens upon this gang seems a little bit convenient, doesn't it? Well, they also do establish that it takes a while for Simba to get back as well, because they have that big scene of him running across the desert. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that Nala happens upon our gang is a little bit convenient, but okay, the plot, fine. <laughs> And here we also see the uh, the weight that uh, Mufasa's death has on Simba because Nala, all she wants to know is why Simba won't, won't come back. And he just, he refuses to volunteer that information a couple of times. And yeah, we, we see oh, we see the effect that Mufasa's death is having on him and that he still doesn't believe he can ever go back. And I don't know why that guilt weighing on him just kind of just kind of gets, gets to me a little bit. Me too. And she's got that one line where he says you know they're they're fighting and he says you're starting to sound like my father and she says good at least one of us does and she's like oh yeah. <laughs> that's a blow are out <laughs> so i do love oh, no, no please sorry. please go ahead i do love the little part where they sing lion sleeps tonight i that <laughs> little moment brings me pure joy I mean, grinning ear to ear, I love that little moment. <laughs> One part, this is the part of the movie, this is uh, in this part and in the live action uh, remake. <laughs> there um, it is. <laughs> uh, 
uh, I always like to make fun of this. Uh, the song, uh, the Oscar-winning song, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Uh, great song, but I love that the whole scene is played during the daytime. Yeah. I remember you saying that, and I never noticed it until you said it. And I was like, yeah, that is kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's still oh, it, it's still nice. Uh, I love that uh, it is not subtly displayed that they fuck. Um, <laughs> especially with Nella's coy look while she's lying in the grass. Yeah, I, I said out loud when I was watching this with Anna, I was like, those are some fuck me eyes. Big <laughs> time. Big time fuck me eyes. Yeah. Whoever the animator was who uh, who was drawing Nala in that scene, uh, he or she got it down pat. Hold on, I'll find out. Uh, Aaron Blaze and Anthony DeRosa were the supervising animators for Nala. Kudos to them. They yep. uh, they nailed the, the lion fuck me eyes. Yep, well done. The Simba, yet again showing his true colors, runs away from his problems, and runs into, is it Rafiki? Rafiki, right? Yeah. Yeah, Rafiki. Rafiki. Kind of a dick move to tell him that his uh, dad's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only to show him a reflection. I understand I mean, the symbolism, and I understand yeah, the, the point he's trying to... Yeah, fine. Yeah, <laughs> but a little bit of a dick move. Yeah. It's also um, something that hasn't really occurred to me until this watch... This whole uh, Rafiki is almost a, a Yoda-like character. Like, you remember at, uh, that when Empire Strikes Back, when we're introduced to Yoda, he's very all over the place. He's very manic mm -hmm. and, and sort of annoying to Luke. Rafiki is that same sort of energy, that same sort of crazy wild energy in the scene. But it's, it's weird to me that it's only established here because we've already met Rafiki, sort of. He's more so been established as wise is like a wise character and then all of a sudden he is just he is just all over the place yeah well, when <laughs> it, he finds, although when the the piece of simba's hair makes his way back to him he does go a little crazy then when mm -hmm. he realizes that like and i guess you could chalk that up to excitement of realizing that the king is uh, the rightful king is still alive mm -hmm. but you sort of you start to see it then that excitement and the, the like the baboonishness of him <laughs> yeah we get the return of J.E.J., uh, -E James Earl Jones, uh, as a force cloud, force ghost, force stars. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you want to call him. Uh, yeah. But that voice is just so fucking regal. I, it, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Sam. Try it out. I was, I was just going to say, Obi-Wan has taught you well. Nice. <laughs> Love that voice. Uh, I, do like, uh, I do like the return of Mufasa here. It's uh, it's well done. It's touching. Uh, it I I think because watching it this time with a more critical eye, I think it's 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 here that, and in the coming scenes that we're about to go, uh, I, and I think it's why I pointed out Matthew Broderick is he's just not good, and it's it's honestly that kind of that high pitched voice. It doesn't work for me when I'm basically looking at something that looks like Mufasa and sounds like a prepubescent boy. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird casting, isn't it? It is. I know we've kind of gone over this already, but I don't know if I'll be able to get over this now. Just what a weird choice is. 
right, what a weird choice Matthew Broderick is for James Earl Jones's son. And I mean, I guess you can see, you can say the same for you can say the same for Mark Hamill as well, but still. That you I never really thought about it, but I agree. It, <laughs> like now that I'm thinking about it, I think I'll definitely notice it next time I watch Lion King. Like it's not something that stood out to me before, but yeah, he doesn't have a king's. Matthew Broderick's voice isn't royal or regal. It doesn't. It yeah. it doesn't make me feel like he's a leader. It doesn't make me feel like he's someone that I should be following. It's not. It's not a strong leadership type of voice and i it again it doesn't ruin the movie it doesn't wreck the movie for me it was just something that i completely noticed this time because i'm looking i was looking at it from a much more critical perspective watching the film because it works like it really works in the hakuna matata atmosphere Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. his voice really works in that atmosphere but that's not what simba becomes Mm -hmm. that's not his life yeah no i agree Mm -hmm. I, uh, I I love the scene between Rafiki and Simba after the stars, or I guess that you could consider it the same scene, but just the, the next sort of conversation that they have um, where Simba's talking about the pain of going back and the, the pain of the past that he feels, and he sort of starts to verbalize his grief a little bit. And uh, Rafiki does this whole, the, this whole lesson where he smacks him over the head with his stick and says the past can hurt, but you can either you can either run from it or you can learn from it. And then goes to hit him again, and he's he's learned and he catches the stick. It's a it's a great visual metaphor, and that conversation that. is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Nice, yeah, same, same, yeah, it's good. So Simba decides that he's all of a sudden the king again, and has learned from his past by catching a stick. And, <laughs> and there was, he talked to his dad as well. Oh right, he had he had a hallucination and talked line. to his dead dad. Oh my god! <laughs> There's another line in, in there again that just like um, for me is like so heart wrenching. It's when Fossa says, "You are more than what you've become." Could you imagine your dad saying that to you in death? Oh, like I don't know that line. Just yeah, it pulls up my heartstrings. Like that would be hard to hear if you're not going back to take Pride Rock back after that line. Like <laughs> you don't deserve to be king. Mm-mm. No way. Especially if it's James Earl Jones telling you that, right? Yeah, he's just doing whatever he says. <laughs> what about Morgan Freeman as as Mufasa? I mean, I feel like that's. The only other acceptable answer, <laughs> I can't. I can't think of anyone else. I st- I still think James Earl Jones is be- would be better. Is better. He's still yeah. the best pick. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But cool. if you're talking about people with that voice, that deep baritone, uh, and that silky smooth voice, I th- feel like Morgan Freeman would be the only acceptable alternative. But I think they still nailed it. Orson Welles. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, this is totally random, but you want to know what I learned about Orson Welles the other day? His last role was a voice role in the Transformers movie. Yep. Like not the not not the uh, not the Michael Bay piece. The animated one. Yeah, the animated one. I did not know that. Somebody told me that the other day, and I didn't believe them. The guy <laughs> who made Citizen Kane, his last role was in the animated Transformers movie. <laughs> yep. Actually, I did know fantastic. that. That's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, so Simba returns to the Pride Lands. Are you guys pumped at this point? Excited? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> uh, yeah. The last, the, the climactic battle scene. Oh. I don't know if it does, I don't know if it does much for me. Or are we there yet? 
We can well, let well. Let's go there. So Simba confronts Scar. Um, yeah. Before we get to, the, I don't care for the slow mo. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, the slow mo is bad. Weird. I yeah. don't understand that choice. Yeah, I don't. I don't care for it. And it's only on this watch that it, that it like actively bothered me. Yeah. And again, because I'm watching it more critically, but it was like, why are they slow moing Adam? Weird. It feels like they just didn't want to choreograph a fight scene because it's not just slow-mo for like a little bit for like to emphasize a couple of the blows that land. It's like a full-on slow-mo fight scene. Yep. Basically. Yeah. So weird decision. Um, just before the slow-mo fight though, uh, Scar continues to show his mental prowess. He's so cunning. He pretty much, well, he convinces uh Simba to admit to killing his dad in front of everybody great ploy uh then in typical villain fashion uh reveals his true plan in a whisper to Simba when he thinks he has Simba at his mercy uh which all of a sudden gives uh Simba superpowers to fly and <laughs> jumps off the rock uh overtakes his uncle and then Gar admits to everyone that he's doing it. Why? <laughs> why? Yeah, it seems like, like why would you admit that? Like I, I, I really don't. the 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 treatment of Scar's demise, like his downfall and his demise, has always been a bit of a head scratcher for me. Um, especially, I mean, he also falls down and gets eaten by the hyenas. I understand the, the significance of it and the symbolism of it, mm -hmm. of him being eaten by the very, uh, under the very minions that he, uh, helped, um, I don't know that he, that he raised. Controlled. Yeah. yeah. That he controlled. There you go. Um, I understand it, but it's bothered me always that he kind of becomes a bumbling mess in that scene where he's always been conveyed as somebody who always knows the right thing to say, mm -hmm. always has a plan. He, he's like his smarts has been literally his entire character. And it kind of bothers me that in the, in the moments leading up to his death, he just can't, he can't think of even a single convincing thing to say, I'm not saying it has to work. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying you, he's always, he's always got something to say. Yep. Yeah. Until he doesn't, I guess. Totally fair. Uh, Scar's death is uh, very graphic, despite it not being on screen. Yeah, yeah, it's through uh, through shadow, right? through shadow, yeah. and then the flames uh, engulf them all from my gathering. So the hyenas are having one last meal before they're burned to death. Yeah, okay. that was always my thing because the hyenas, yeah, they have to get they get burned to death. Yeah, mm. creepy. Uh, just before we get to the ending, uh. Pumbaa does two movie references in his fight with the hyenas. Oh, yeah. Um, I was actually Googling this. They Call Me Mr. Pig yep. is is a Sidney Poitier reference. Yeah, in the heat of the night. Yeah. And then what's what's the other one? Taxi Driver. Are you talking to me? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Rafiki, too, they say his fight scene there is, is a replica of uh, Bruce Lee's fight scene in Fist of Fury. Mm -hmm. I got major uh, ninja vibes from from that scene. So that makes sense. Yep. Uh, now we're at the end, and uh, Nala pops out a kid because after their fuck fest in the nice jungle. Well put. And 
we have a full circle at the end of the film of life wow wow the themes <laughs> thematic yeah uh one last question though since we're at the end um i understand you know the hyenas and scar uh running the pride lands have wrecked it there's there's no food left um why would the herds return here to only be eaten by the lions that rule yeah it doesn't really establish like it, it's sort of taken for granted that having the rightful king back he'll be able to restore the kingdom to its previous glory but it's never really established why i mean we see that under scar the kingdom is just uh desolate or desolate mm-hmm. um and you know free of any sort of vegetation it's not really made clear how simba returning to be king is going to do anything for the plant life the grass the the uh any any creatures that want to return to to the land to eat said grass none of that's really made clear it's just like oh he he's back so you know happy disney ending whatever. yeah which i mean hey that's exactly what it is happy disney ending. yeah which again i'm fine with i just find it funny all the all the animals lower on the food chain have left or have been killed off so the ones that have left what's their motivation for coming back so they they can get eaten by lions instead of hyenas so they can be part of the circle of life, <laughs> I guess. My, like I said, minor quibble. Just things I thought about as I watched this movie. We're at the end of the movie. Did we skip over anything you guys wanted to touch on before we move on? Uh, the only notes that I have, let me see. I have Timon dressing in dragon doing the hula. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, it's prep work for, for a couple years in the future. Oh. Nathan Lane in the birdcage. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I got you. Sure. <laughs> um, I also have uh, the weather on Pride Rock has excellent dramatic timing. Uh, <laughs> as soon as the fight scene concludes, we got a downpour of rain. And for the second time in two weeks, we get rain symbolizing redemption. Of course, the last time being in the Shawshank redemption. Um, lo- the great, fine. I'm definitely fine with that. Um, and I think that is just about it. Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything else, I don't think. Redemption and cleansing also, by the way. Cleansing also. Yes. yes. Good. Rach? Yeah, I mean, I love, this, I love the scene of Simba walking um, up to take his rightful place at the end of Pride Rock there. Um, and I'm fine with, I don't think too hard about how the other animals and the grass is going to grow. It doesn't matter. I want my... Especially in this movie, I'm okay with the movie not having a Disney ending, but this movie, I needed it. I need the happy ending and the land prospering, so I'm totally fine with it. Oh, and I'm another totally... thing, oh. have you guys have you guys ever noticed that lions can't actually talk and they're talking through this whole movie? <laughs> have you guys ever noticed that? <laughs> Don't ruin this movie for me, Sam. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, th- like I said, it it's it was it, that was stuff I've only noticed on this sit through as I'm being more critical. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's the same. You, you can do the same thing with any movie, even the movies I enjoy. You can you can pick apart as it, fun. It's just minor things that I I noticed. I'm like, what's the reason for all the herds to come back to just get yeah, eaten fine. by a different animal? <laughs> uh, okay, I got some trivia for you guys. Uh, the actor Frank Welker provided all the lion roars. 
not a single recording of an actual lion roaring was used because the producers wanted specific sounding roars for each lion. That's impressive. I know. Wow. Get, getting all the roars from a guy who can produce different sounding ones at will. Yes. It's quite a niche talent. You just know he made it in that moment. He was like, Mom, Dad, <laughs> yeah. all the years that I spent in my room practicing my <laughs> lion's roar, you told me I'd never make it. Well, guess what? I did it. Um, a few weeks before the film opened, Elton John was given a special screening. Noticing that the film's love song had been left out, he successfully lobbied Jeffrey Katzenberg to have the song put back in. Later, Can You Feel the Love Tonight won him an Academy Award for Best Original Song. Katzenberg probably told him that the scene took place during the day, so they couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, in early drafts, Scar was a rogue line with no relation to Mufasa. Eventually, however, the story writers thought relating him to Mufasa would be more interesting, a threat within. This is why Scar and Mufasa differ so much. They weren't originally designed to be related. I think it, uh, their differences don't lead me to believe that they're they're not related. I mean, the source in the source material uh, in Hamlet, I'm pretty sure um, the King Hamlet, like Hamlet's father, is uh, is killed by his brother Polonius. I think that's how that works. So I, I see no issue with any of this. Yep. Uh, this is what I, I, I mentioned earlier. The Wildebeest Stampede took Disney's CG department approximately three years to animate. A new computer program had to be written for the CG Wildebeest Stampede that allowed hundreds of computer-generated animals to run, but without colliding into each other. That's a hell of a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, this movie is the best-selling home video of all time, with more than 55 million copies sold to date. That's a surprising pick for for best selling home video of all time. What 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 would what would have been your pick? I don't know, Color of Night. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> just just kidding. Uh, I don't know. We talked about Shawshank Redemption recently. I mean, that even that could have been uh, not, a decent pick. Not rented, bought. Oh. Hmm. Well, then yeah, you... I, I'm. I don't. I honestly don't have another pick. Really, I, I wasn't surprised by this because. You would buy this for your kids to watch, yeah, and you would buy it for yourself to watch. Where Shawshank, not so much. You buy just for yourself. That's yeah, why Brooks, Brooks was here is a little heavy for the kids. A little bit. I'll find out. I'll, I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make my daughter watch Shawshank next week, and hopefully that takes <laughs> over Sailor Moon. Maya, Maya hasn't seen Shawshank Redemption. No, nope, not yet. I can't believe she gets a segment on our show and she hasn't seen Shawshank. That's I know. Unacceptable. Fuck that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this film held the record for being the highest grossing animated film of all time until it was surpassed by Toy Story 3 and then it was surpassed by Frozen in 2013 both Disney films however this film remains the highest grossing 2D animated film of all time they don't really make 2D animated movies anymore very rare very rare it's a shame that Disney doesn't really do this style of movie anymore. I know it is a shame, but they've set their sights elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, and the last one I have here, this is this is for you, Sam. I pulled this one out for you. Ooh. Scar suffers from the seven deadly sins. <clears throat> he yeah, believes himself to be deserving of power. He also refuses to abandon the Pride Lands, even if that means the death of his subjects, which is Pride. 
He is indolent even as the Pride Lands fall into ruin. Sloth. He enjoys food while letting the rest of his kingdom, including his loyal followers, starve. Gluttony. He is envious of his brother and nephew for getting the throne and plots their deaths for it. Envy. In a deleted scene, he attempts to woo Nala, eager to produce hair as heirs. Lust. He wants power and will destroy anyone to get it. Greed. He gets enraged when Mufasa is mentioned to him, and he attacks Sarabi for comparing him unfavorably to Mufasa. Wrath. That's a good one. Now we just need him yelling, what's in the box? Yep. <laughs> uh, some casting what-ifs. Joe Pesci was offered to do the voice of uh, Banzai or Timon. Banzai is one of the hyenas. But he had to turn... I'd... Go ahead. I don't know if I need him in either of those. I mean, we already established. I think we like Nathan Lane. Yeah. Perfectly fine. And Banzai uh, probably was Cheech Marin's role, if I'm not mistaken. Am yeah. I right? Yeah. I I like Joe Pesci. I don't know if I need him in this movie. Yeah. Tim Curry and Malcolm McDowell were both considered for the role of Scar. I, again, they uh, they got it right. Jeremy Irons, fantastic. James Caan, Robert Duvall, and Ray Liotta were considered for the role of Scar. I I don't I I can't have it in me to to approve. To, I can't sign off on any of those choices because uh, Jeremy Irons does does such a good job. This is it's actually just occurring to me now. This is the second jeremy irons performance as a villain that we have praised this year i mean not in the year 1994 but in the year 2021 we also praised uh die hard with a vengeance Mm -hmm. um where he plays simon yes liam neeson and timothy dalton were considered for the role of mufasa liam neeson sure but again but again james Earl jones nails it yeah and the last one, the scriptwriters envisioned Sean Connery as the voice of Mufasa. That's that's a no for me. Yeah, I no. I don't want that version. A big, a nice Scottish accent on the Pride Lands of Africa. It's the circle of life, Shimba. <laughs> <laughs> All right, favorite quotes. I have four. Okay. Number one. This is from Scar. Yes, well, forgive me for not leaping for joy. Bad back, you know. <laughs> Number two is a little exchange between Pumbaa and Timon. Kid, what eating ya? Nothing. He's the top of the food chain. The food chain. Number three is uh, from Mufasa's ghost. Remember. And number four is Scar. Long live the king. Uh, quick quibble. It's actually a Mufasa's hallucination. I think you established. I think that's no, uh, it's that, not a ghost. That would have been hallucin- Simba's hallucination. Oh shoot! Uh, you're right. Yeah. So I will correct your correction. Ooh. I'll correct your correction. <laughs> <laughs> Rach, what you got for a favorite quote? Okay, I think I have I have five or six. Um, so first one I have is Mufasa. I'm only brave when I have to be. Being brave doesn't mean go looking for trouble. Uh, second one is a little interaction between Tomorrow and Simba. It's our motto. What's a motto? Nothing. What's a motto with you? That's a good one. 
another one I have is Rafiki when he hits Rafiki, uh, Simba with the stick and says, oh yes, the past can hurt, but the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. Uh, next one is also Rafiki, and it's when Simba's looking in at his reflection, and he says, he, and he says, that's just my reflection, and Rafiki says, he lives in you. And then it changes to Pafasa. And Rafiki again, look beyond what you see. And last one, Rafiki again, the question is, who are you? And in that same interaction later, he says, I'm not the one who's confused. You don't even know who you are. Those are mine. Nice. Samuel. I got four. Uh, I have, uh, oh yes, the past can hurt, but from the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. That's Rafiki. Number two, when we die, our bodies become the grass and the antelope eat the grass. And so we are all connected in the great circle of life. Number three, um, <laughs> I, this is Pumbaa. Uh, you know, kid, in times like this, my buddy Timon here says, you got to put your behind in the past. <laughs> uh, n number four. Um, is Scar uh, being very condescending to Mufasa when he uh, he says that Simba will be king one day. And he says, oh, I shall have to practice my curtsy. Nice. <laughs> awesome. My winner for favorite quote is, long live the king. Ooh, nice. Rachel. Um, I'm going to go with Rafiki, look beyond what you see. Sam, can I guess yours before you reveal it? Sure. I think you've chosen the circle of life quote. Ah, oh, you're incorrect, sir. Damn it! Uh, the past can hurt, but the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. All right. Nice. Uh, favorite scene? I have four. I have the interaction uh, with Simba and Mufasa about the circle of life. I have Mufasa's death. I have the Hakuna Matata. And the opening scene slash Circle of Life song. Rachel, what do you got for me? I also have the opening scene Circle of Life song. I have one part specifically in Hakuna Matata, and it's when they're showing the passage of time when they're walking on the log yep. and Simba gets bigger. I love those kind of scenes. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, sure. I have Rafiki and Simba's interaction before Mufasa's ghosts appear. Mm -hmm. All of that back and forth. And then I have Simba taking the throne, walking up high pride walk, walk at the end. All right. Sam. Uh, I have six. Uh, the Circle of Life intro to the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, is that song going to be the intro to this episode? Because I really feel like it should be. Done. <laughs> done uh the introduction to scar and his little soliloquy um we have uh mufasa and simba touring the kingdom uh observing the circle of life uh four the elephant graveyard five the wildebeest stampede and mufasa's death and number six the past can hurt all right uh quick question before we select here uh since it just kind of occurred to me did rafiki hit uh, Simba before Simba saw his dad's uh, ghost? <laughs> Are you implying that uh, it was a hallucination taken on by head trauma? Yes, I am implying that 100%. I, 
I don't think your order of events is correct, but I, I'm not entirely sure. Okay. So he saw the ghost and then was hit in the head. Yeah, and that's okay. why it stopped, maybe. It's okay. like hitting a television, old, old school TV when it starts going fuzzy. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, my favorite scene is uh, Mufasa's death. Uh, the entire Wildebeest stampede is uh, incredibly filmed. The long live the king and then the touching moment with, uh, with Simba and his uh, father's uh, trampled upon corpse. Rach? Mine is the opening scene, Circle of Life song. Excellent pick. Sam? I am, al- I am also going to go with Mufasa's death. Oh, wow. I actually thought you were going to take the Circle of Life. I almost did. Nice. But I uh, decided to go with that. All right. Closing credits. Now, I mentioned uh, off-air uh, to my, uh, my, my co-podcasters tonight. There's a bonus question in here, which they have not been prepped on. Uh, it will be coming up shortly. So, standard ones. Are there any Oscar-worthy performances in this film? Now, sadly, the Oscars don't recognize voice performances. So I don't know what we can do here for that. But do you think anybody's voice performance is so good that it should have been nominated for an Oscar? If you're going to make the case for anyone, I feel like Jeremy Irons is a good place to start. I like James Earl Jones as well, but that's more so a factor of him just having the perfect voice Mm -hmm. for the role. Uh, It's more so Jeremy Irons' performance specifically that I like. Mm, I like that answer. I would agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent answer, Sam. Love it. Um, What other aspects of the film are award-worthy? Sadly, again, it's animation, so the only other... I don't... Can animated films be nominated for sound design they must be able to hey they must be able to yeah Hmm. i can't see why they wouldn't be able to yeah i can't i don't really think the sound design in here is that impressive so i can't think of anything else that would really count no i think i mean it was nominated to what for score score and three song nominations yeah which is uh which is entirely fine i i think that's that's all i would want to nominate for anyway i think I would put it in Best Picture. Oh. Beauty and the Beast is the only one that's ever been nominated for Best Picture. But I would as far as the two D nominated, as far as the two D, two D. Yeah, yeah. I, would, uh, I would. Rachel, put it in. what what are you taking out in nineteen ninety? Four weddings and a funeral, gone. I take out four weddings, easy. It's a bold statement. I love it. Oh. Is it that bold of a statement? I mean, we both liked four weddings and a funeral, but. This one's definitely had more lasting cultural impact. Certainly in retrospect, uh, Lion King uh, should have been in there instead of Four Weddings and a Funeral, I would say. Hmm. Or at I least the, an- case, the case could be made. I have another one. Oh, holy shitballs. I, I don't know if you can, but I would put it in screenplay. I would take out you- Bullets Over Broadway and 100%. Four Weddings, Heavenly Creatures, and Red. All gone. I put Lion King in over all of those. Have you seen Red? Nope. <laughs> regardless. Yeah, regardless. Don't bog this down with facts, Manny. Yeah. <laughs> about emotions, goddammit. Okay, so yeah. leave, leave Red in there since you can't form an, 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 informed, no, I... an informed decision on it. Uh, but sorry, what were the other ones you wanted to pull out? So this. I would pull out Bullets Over Broadway. I hated that movie. Yeah, you really did. Um... And I would pull out Four Weddings. Like, Four Weddings is. 
it's charming and it's got some good writing in it. But for starters, the main character, the female character, is atrocious. She's awful. What? I don't like that I would take those. I would take both those out and put Lion King in for screenplay. You think this would be considered under the original screenplay? Yeah, because it's the first original movie that Disney did for 2D. All other movies were done in previously uh, previous known stories. So yeah. yeah, it would be original. Manny, I think what you're getting at is that uh, you were implying it might be considered adapted because it's adapted from oh. Hamlet somewhat. But I, I, I don't think it borrows heavily enough from Hamlet to be considered a dialogue. No, I don't think so either. There's another, it's also closely related to another African story. Uh, right. The, what is it? Uh, something the White Lion. They, got, they tried to sue them for that, right? Yeah. So I guess it's yeah. not based off uh, something previously published, so it, it would be original. Um, I know that you so hate, I know that you hated Bullets Over Broadway, but the, it, it's a well-written movie. I know that you hated it. Yeah. I know that you hated it. <laughs> um, I haven't. I haven't seen Heavenly Creatures, and I haven't seen Red, so I can't give an informed decision on those two. See, and it's because I haven't seen them that I'm like Lion King can take them over. Totally, <laughs> totally fair. Um, so, and one other thing. Matt, I don't oh, I have seen like, Heavenly Creatures. Play on those, but one thing you, I don't know if you mentioned this in your facts, but it, like when we're talking about the best of the best, not that grossing does, but Lion King was the highest grossing movie of 1994. Yep. I think. Uh, did you mention that? I must have missed that. I Sorry. did not mention it. No. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So I, yeah, I would take out some other nominations. Easy, easy peasy lemon squeezy. I, Japanese. I would have no, pro I would have no problem. I. Oh God. I could get on board with the with the screenplay nom. You're, you're being very wishy-washy about this. Then again, I haven't seen like basically any of those movies other than Four Weddings and a Funeral. I I can't take out Bullets Over Broadway, but I I was about to say I'm like I could take out Four Weddings and a Funeral, but in my mind I don't think that I would want to take out Four Weddings and a Funeral for Best Picture over this. But I think I'd have to if I do it that way. Mm. So. I like your arguments that you've presented, Rachel, and I will back them. I think that yeah, you could take whoa. out I think that you could take out four weddings and a funeral for best picture. And I think that you could take out four weddings and a funeral uh, for screenplay. I will disagree. I understand your hatred for Bolts Over Broadway. I didn't like it either, but it is a very well written film. There's just some perform right. there's just some performances in there. But I, I would I could easily replace four weddings and a funeral i have seen heavenly creatures but i don't remember it so i can't offer an informed decision and red i'm trying to watch it but it's fucking hard to find so uh i will support them i will i wow. you have you have convinced you have convinced you have ladies and gentlemen rachel has won an argument on the podcast <laughs> you have convinced me that lion king should supplant four weddings and a funeral for best picture in this discussion, I'm not going to say that I have – I'm not going to say that I don't have another film from 1994 that I would put in that fourth slot, but we're discussing this film only at this time. So I will I will agree. I like the points that you made. I like the arguments you've said on behalf. I will support that statement. I agree. Take out Four Weddings and a Funeral for Best Picture. Take out Four Weddings and a Funeral for Best Screenplay. I'm on board. Cool. Thank nice. you. Merry Christmas. Ooh. 
Thank you. I was just gonna say that. In July. <laughs> yeah. Merry half Christmas to me. No, I love. I, I. I. You articulate everything perfectly. I. You. You completely sold me on that idea. Well done. Yeah. Uh, weak link. Of- my mic drop. I gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's all downhill from here. Uh, yeah. weak, weak link of the film, Sam. Gosh, that's tough. Um, I am going to say, um, I'm going to say Simba's return to Pride Rock. Um, the clim- the climax of the movie leaves a little something to be desired, in my opinion. Okay. Which is weird for a movie that we just uh, nominated for Best Original Screenplay. <laughs> but uh, in my opinion, the uh, the climactic fight, both in its uh, in its visual execution and in its uh, emotional impact, were a little lacking for me. All right. All right. Rachel? I didn't know what I was going to pick for this going in, but through the course of the podcast tonight, you have convinced me that the weakest link is Simba's voice, both as (laughs) young Simba and as old Simba. Yeah. Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Matthew Broderick. Don't cut it. I'm not so, uh, I'm not so down on Jonathan Taylor Thomas's performance. Uh, I he obviously he sounds perfect for the role. Yeah. Uh, okay. I just wish, I you know obviously I'm, that's asking for a lot. In 1994, a little representation would have been nice, but a, for me the weakest link is Matthew Broderick's voice performance uh, as a, a, an adult Simba. I I find mm. it quite weak. Not weak enough to ruin the movie for me. Not weak enough to wreck it or to diminish it at all. Uh, it's just something that I I've always kind of had a, a little bit of a problem with. And then looking at it with a critical eye on this viewing, it, it kind of really stood out for me. I think Matthew Broderick is the weak part of the film. Yeah, it's a small weak link, but yeah. a weak link nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this anyone's career highlight? Uh, pro- I mean, Disney 2D animators? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is the height of Disney 2D animation, so it's probably the highlight for... Um, a lot of the people on the uh, like who had technical jobs on the movie. Well, would it be Hans Zimmer? This is the one he won the Oscar for. Nice. Uh, don't do that. Don't don't I'm make just, me choose. I'm, just, I'm, just <laughs> I'm not saying it. I don't know. It could be though. Yeah, but you have to remember he did win a Golden Globe for Gladiator. Oh, so we have to take that into account. <laughs> Holy Christ! <laughs> Holy Christ! <laughs> I mean, realistically, uh, like jokes aside, I think of Hans Zimmer as the guy who composes for Christopher Nolan. So, uh, I mean, if I'm if I'm picking my personal favorite works of yeah. his, probably Interstellar and Inception. Um, but I, I could see the argument for, I mean, an Oscar win's an Oscar win, absolutely. Um, let me put this. You you made a fair point uh, about Disney two D animation. Mm-hmm. This is the highest-grossing animated film of all time. Beauty and the Beast is the first animated film nominated for Best Picture. Oh, I see. I don't know which one you want to take. Um, gosh, that is that is good. Um, Th- this I I'm just I'm just playing devil's advocate because I personally think that this is the highlight of Disney's 2D animation. I personally do as well. Because this, in my opinion, has carried on more of a cultural impact and a pop culture legacy than Beauty and the Beast. Took the words out of my mouth. That's that's 100% where it it lands for me, too. And Beauty and the Beast is my second favorite 
2D animation movie of all time, but this one is love their Beauty highlight. Love Beauty and the Beast. I hated the live action. <laughs> I actually didn't care for it either. It was my worst film of the year. It, it was not my worst film of the year. Oh, shocker. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, there was parts of it I didn't care for. James Earl Jones, career highlight? Come on, Darth Vader. Just throwing it out there. No, uh, for me, for me, that's not close. I mean, see, for me, it is because I don't like Star Wars. Mm. But, but I respect that. I, I would say, I, do more people would know him as Darth Vader. Like, yeah, the the way I have been at least trying to frame some of these in weeks past has been, what is the answer to the question, who is James Earl Jones? Yes, and the yeah. answer, he's the guy who voices Darth Vader. I think that's. Yeah. That's and pretty... then Mufasa. Yes, yeah, I agree. And then, I mean, Mufasa would be second place there for sure, but it's Darth Vader for me. Just in case you guys care, uh, Mufasa would probably be number three on James Earl Jones for me personally. Behind? Falsa Doom. Mm. I don't know that. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he plays the villain in the Conan movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I see. Number three for me would be Coming to America. Nice. Be I, no- I love that movie. That movie's good. I haven't seen the second one. Um, it's good. L- career highlight for Nathan Lane? Um, I mean, Third I can't page? think of anything else for him. No, I, I know what the career highlight for Nathan Lane is. What is it? Birdcage? It, no, it's not the Birdcage. If we're going, mm-hmm. if we're going film, then you can make this as the argument. If you're going actual career, it's his run on the producers on Broadway. Hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Because that that was an absolute fucking juggernaut, and won tons of Tony awards. So the Lion King won six Tony awards. He wasn't in that one. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing it out there. So wing and a miss. Uh, okay. I think that's everybody that we could think of. Like yeah, for sure. it's, it's not Jonathan Taylor Thomas because that's uh, Home Improvement. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Broderick is pretty obviously yeah. Ferris Bueller. Yeah. And then Jeremy Irons, while this might be his most popular film, uh, he did win the Oscar for Best Actor, I think, the year before. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, MVP of the film. Uh, I, I am going to go with Jeremy Irons. Nice. Same. Yeah. Scar, Scar, Scar is such an interestingly written character, and he has such an awesome voice performance as well. It's just, mwah, it's the perfect, it's the perfect coming together. I guess it could be argued that just Scar is the MVP, the character Scar. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna stick with Jeremy Irons. Um, could I make a case for Elton John and the songwriting partner of his? Ooh, yeah, you could. You could. You <laughs> right. de- you could do that. You could make you could make that case. I could make the case, but I'm gonna join you with Scar as the MVP. Yeah. yeah that's definitely that's definitely a good answer though. Just wanted to throw that it one is. out there. Mm-hmm. Bonus question. Oh, here we go. What's your favorite song? Ah, uh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> um Circle of Life. Same. Circle of Life for me. Hmm. Is it mine? Could you imagine if I said be prepared? It would be ridiculous. I, like, <laughs> I really was hoping you would. No. Nah. I wanted it. Uh, can't do that. No, Circle of Life is a uh, relatively easy pick, I think. Yeah, I'm going to join you yeah. with the Circle of Life. And for me, I'd say it would be followed by, like, 
I think Can You Feel the Love Tonight for me is my third favorite. I think I Just Can't Wait to Be King would be my yeah. would be my second. Yeah, we actually haven't talked about I Just Can't Wait to Be King tonight, but that's my second favorite as well. Nice. It's cute. It's fun. What will be this film's legacy, Samuel? Uh, the highest grossing 2D animated movie of all time uh, and the movie that makes children cry all across the world at Mufasa's death. I think there's only one other 2D animated film that could surpass the making kids cry. Bambi. Uh, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. It in my mind, if I'm if I'm to summarize it, the legacy for Lion King would be the pinnacle of Disney animation. That would be sort of the, the spark notes. And you're absolutely right. Like it in the. I'm sure you guys are familiar with the period that they call the Renaissance period mm-hmm. between 89 and 99. Like Lion King is dead center coming out in 94, right in the middle of that uh, resurgence. Yeah. I, I believe this film's legacy is exactly what you said, Sam. This is going to be the pinnacle of 2d animation. It's widely considered one of the greatest uh, animated films of all time, computer generated or not. Um, I, yeah, that's going to be the film's legacy. Would you watch this movie again? Hell yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. Would you recommend this movie to friends? Yes. I feel like all my friends have probably seen this. (laughs) All my friends probably grew up on this movie. I wonder if I know anybody that hasn't seen this. Yeah. I don't know. My da- I wonder, has my daughter seen this? I was thinking about that too, but I think the way you talk about Maya being, getting scared of movies, I don't think she's ready for it. I think Julie will get mad at you. This is a scary-ass movie, for sure. She would have a very hard time with uh, the elephant graveyard. Yeah. I mean, the final scene in The Flames is also like yeah. relatively scary. Interesting. And Mufasa's death is super sad. I yep. think the way you talk about how easily she gets scared, I don't think she's quite two more years. Now I'm interested. I'm going to ask her. Yeah. I'd be, I'd like to know. I'd be surprised if she has, or if she hasn't, isn't scared of it. Huh. All right. I'm going to find out. Uh, all right. Final thoughts on the film. Sam, start us off. The Lion King is one that I did not develop a connection to until surprisingly late in life, given uh, the time period of when it came out and when I was born. Um, But I'm glad that I have. It's one that is helmed by fantastic performances by James Earl Jones and Jeremy Irons. um, And a couple, I mean, Rowan Atkinson, we also um, acknowledged as somebody who I really liked in the movie. The animation for the most part is excellent. Um, The climactic scene um is maybe the one weak link in the film for me um matthew broderick's voice while i do agree that it is not nearly regal enough it didn't bother me uh really as i was watching the movie so i I won't really comment on it too much uh the music in the lion king is iconic it permeates generations i just can't wait to be king the circle of life hakuna matata are all omnipresent in our society and uh, the film's lasting impact uh, 
will continue for years and years and years. And Manny, I hope you do share this with your daughter because it is one that will continue to be shared through generations as long as films are being watched. Mm. Rachel. Can I just be like, ditto? (laughs) (laughs) So all of that. uh, And um, yeah, like the animation at the time blew me away. It was the best of the best. And I love that it still holds up so well. The aesthetic is super appealing. The characters are, are vivid. The voice work for most of the characters, in my opinion, are, is, is top notch. The score is brilliant. The songs are catchy. And the story is mature in nature while still being fun and entertaining. We get arguably the best Disney villain out of this film. And it has a lot to offer. As time goes on, this movie creeps higher and higher on my top Disney movies. Um, And I love that it stands the test of time. And yeah, great movie. My appreciation for this film has grown over the years. Uh, It's still not anywhere near the top of my Disney 2D animation or animated movies list. I can appreciate it for the artistic merits it has and for the uh, technical craft that it took to make this film, but it's just not a fully entertaining film for me to want to revisit on a regular basis. Uh, I love the emotion that it invokes in Rachel. It's fun to hear about how uh, how deeply it, it touches and moves her. Uh, and it's fun for me to be able to mock her for that. And, <laughs> uh, but it is uh, only my lack of enjoyment doesn't mean that I'm unaware or uh, blind to the artistic merits of this film. It is expertly crafted. It is perfectly paced. And with the exception of Matthew Broderick, um, the voice cast is generally uh, well well done with obviously James Earl Jones and Jeremy Irons as complete standouts. Jeremy Irons gives an absolutely spectacular performance as, like Sam said, arguably the greatest uh, Disney 2D animated villain. In fact, uh, possibly the greatest Disney villain. I'm trying to think if Pixar or the other films have had a villain that has come close to Scar, so I, I don't think so. I mean, the first one that comes to mind uh, for Pixar is Syndrome. But he, okay. he, but he, he doesn't. I, in my opinion, I like Scar better. I think Scar's a much better character. But yeah, Syndrome would probably be the only one that could take a run at him. Uh, so it's an absolute delight to watch him. And now that we've kept talking about it, and I thought about it, I truly would have loved to have seen Alan Rickman's take on this character. <laughs> uh, but I'm just, I think I'm just nostalgic for Rickman. I want him in anything right now. Uh, I miss him terribly. Uh, All in all, Lion King is a cinematic masterpiece when it comes to animation. Just for me, not thoroughly entertaining. Our ratings for Lion King. Rachel, get us started. Five. No way. Five out of five. You're kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's so shocked. I am am shocked over here. (laughs) Samuel? Uh, I've been rolling this over in my head, and I really, I think it's a five. I think it's a five for me too. That's uh, it's super enjoyable. So much fun, and very emotional. Jill, that's 
three fives in a row for you, Sam? Shawshank, and what did we do last week? Dumb and Dumber? Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hey. <laughs> and you're I stand by all of those, fives. god damn it. I like it because you're stingy with your fives. I am. I am. I've, you know, I've been trying to trying to loosen up. You know, you only live once, as the kids say. <laughs> you know what? All this this thing that I'm doing where if nothing's perfect, so nothing can get five stars, it's bullshit. Loosen it up. I concur. Uh, it's a three for me. Three. <laughs> yeah, three. I'm thinking you know, maybe a four. No, but... not a four. Stick in the mud. <laughs> <laughs> I would have given it a four if Sam hadn't used the Golden Globe reference. Um, yeah, no, that, that <laughs> talked at the entire point, hey? Yeah. <laughs> or, or if they had explained maybe a little more in depth why Simba hallucinated his dad. If they went a little more down that route, yeah, maybe it's I a just, four. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't get it. Was he a force ghost? Was it uh, post-concussion syndrome? I don't know what was going on. And again, I don't think I can emphasize this enough. Lions can't talk, guys. I feel like we barely even talked about that. Yeah. This was all a hallucination. Yeah. I feel like you guys are a figment of my imagination sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a nightmare to you, my friend. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, well, that wraps it up. Rachel, it was an absolute pleasure having you on uh, yet again. I hope I didn't uh, stomp all over one of your favorite films as bad as you no. were probably anticipating. <laughs> yeah, this was... I thought it was going to go... You know, and it's... I knew the 2D version, you weren't going to go hard on me, which is why I kept my references to the 2019 <laughs> To a minimum, I had more I could have said for sure, but I know that that one's a bit of a touchy subject. To me, so. <laughs> I would not have been able to mediate that with, with all of my might. There's no chance I could pull you two apart. No, it was awesome to get back um, to being on the podcast with you guys. It's been too long, and I was beyond excited to come back for this episode in particular. Good. I'm glad. It was great awesome. having you on. You're awesome as always. And Thank I'm you. I'm honestly so happy and yet stunned that you convinced me that this should have been nominated for Best Picture. I know. <laughs> I am like leaning ear to ear about this. Um, when you release it, I'm going to have that just like on replay. <laughs> yeah. put, put, that that on, <laughs> put that on your gravestone. Convinced Manny yeah. Manuel of something. I will, uh, yeah. I, I will, I will make up for it when we get to the top ten list of 1994. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this will last. I'll have a nice two-week uh, honeymoon period here. No, you got three, three, three weeks. Then it's right back. Yeah. Right back. To, right back down to the right bottom. back to the shit show. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, thank you, Rachel. We look forward to seeing you again, hopefully uh, a lot sooner than uh, the last time. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, Soo sooner than a year and a half. Yes. Uh, today, today was definitely a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, thank you, Rachel. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. You bet. Sam, what's going on next week? Next week is actually kind of a momentous occasion yeah. in the history of this podcast because uh, – Manny, we've been friends for probably about five years, and we've been doing this podcast for about three and a half, and we have never, I repeat, never sat in the same room and watched a movie together. Not one time. Never. Hasn't happened, ever. Not once. That's going to change. We're going to sit in a room together. That room is going to be the movie theater at Cineplex. The movie we're going to watch is going to be Black Widow, the newest entry in the MCU. I'm very excited. We're taking a little break from the series on 1994. It will be coming back, but come on. We we have to talk about uh, sort of what, what is becoming 
a little bit of our bread and butter if yeah. you don't count uh if you don't count the oscar movies uh so next week episode 165 black widow i very much look forward to it as am i so please remember to rate review and subscribe to us on itunes if you give us a five-star rating and a positive review it does increase the profile of our podcast you can follow us on instagram and twitter at sam underscore many underscore movie you can follow us on facebook at the samuel manual movie podcast you can email us at sam many movie podcast at gmail.com Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us for the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm Manny Manuel. Long live the king. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.